Okay, let's start the show. It's May 17th, 2012. Welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. I'm Will Smith. Welcome to the show. Joining me today, as always, Norman Chan. How are you doing, Norm? I'm doing okay. You're wearing a 3D t-shirt. Uh, I'm just saying, it's 3D. I can't, box. I can't help but talk about it. How much email do you have in your inbox? Not that much, it turns out. Oh, okay. I inbox zeroed the other day. I command A, deleted everything. It's all gone. So if you send me an email Wise. and you're waiting for a response, you're probably boned. Uh, we have two very special guests joining us today. Uh, men you may know. You've, you've known them for a long time. You want to elaborate on special? Uh, Do you need like, stars around that quotation? I, I, I tell. All I'm saying is that they are they are special guests. They're people that may be very familiar to the tested audience and maybe to the larger audience of, of the world in general at this point. Uh, Wesley Fenlon, Matt Braga, how you guys doing? Hey, Will. I'm great. That, that was Wes, if you don't know his voice. And Matt Braga's over here as well. He flew in all the way from Toronto, Canada this morning just to be on the show. Just to be on the show. Thanks for coming, Matt. Hey, thank you for having me, Will. It's good to see you again. It's, it's good to see you, too. Uh, so, uh, so like late night? No, well, I mean, it's what we do. We, yeah. you know, we intro. I wanted to build it up because there was some 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 yeah. people may have thought, due to maybe a poorly worded tweet on my part, that that you weren't yourselves when I said we had some very special guests today. I think they thought we had some very very special, oh, guests non ironic special. It, yeah, it, no, no, yeah, exactly. It sounds like you're implying that we are. I don't know. Somehow, don't say short bus. No, no, don't. Okay, don't say short bus. I'm, I'm short okay bus, with being air quotes special. Yeah, actually. Yeah, I, I think you guys are special guests. I'm glad you came. To, this is this is uh, probably both your first trip to Pacifica too. Yeah, it is. I've uh, lived here for almost a year, and the first time I've been to Pacifica. The thing I realized not is, really missing much. No, well, we have the wow. best Taco Bell in the country. We we got the tour from Norm. It's on the beach. Yep. Yeah. Did he, he show you? He he pointed it to us from afar. Yeah. He also told us the tale of of the nine Pacificas that actually make a Pacifica. I think it's five. But five. Yeah. Five. So okay. There's nine exits or something. Yeah. It was a. It was a. It's a kind of a narco cyclist commune of of towns. Uh, it's one of the only places I've ever lived that you can go into the grocery store on Sunday morning at eight o'clock and see like three dudes wearing utility kilts. So what, what, you know, we got that going for us. What What is that? Oh, you're going to Maker Fair this weekend, right? Oh. You'll okay. learn about the utility kilt. Okay. It's a kilt that has, it's like a cargo pants. It's the cargo pants of kilts. So it's a, it's a man dress with pockets. You know, the Scott E vest. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, but kilts and with no crotch, not necessarily for <laughs> Disney Pixar's brave just cause. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sometimes, right. sometimes you want to wear circulation, a kilt. Yeah. It's, it's not a bad refreshing. Yeah. You, you want to get, let everything breathe wet west, but you got to have pockets. Yes. Well, if you're if you're a maker, if you're building stuff, then you need to have a place to put your your leatherman and your tools and stuff like that. If you don't have big pockets, then then the kilt is of very low value to you. So um so yeah, you're here for Maker Fair this weekend, right? Yeah, now. I'm I'm super excited. This is my first Maker Fair of all Maker Fairs. And and th- does this mean you're like the the San Francisco correspondent for the Toronto newspapers that you're working for? Pr- pretty much, actually. I, I was surprised that they actually went for for coverage. I kind of went to them and described it as sort of like a mad science fair of of technology and magic and wonder. But they and didn't, like, you didn't tell you know they, they didn't know there was also Seattle Maker Fair and yeah. well, and other 
ones around the uh, country. Detroit, close Detroit to is really close to <laughs> Canada. I know, it I know, out. I know. There's the Detroit Maker Fair. There's the New York Maker Fair. We have mini Maker Fairs in Canada. But the way I sold this one is, I said, guys, it is the original Maker Fair. And I don't know if that actually swung them, but it just. But you're here. I'm here. So. Take it. Hey, <laughs> congratulations. Um, so yeah, let's. There's a bunch of news this week. There's a ton of stuff to talk about. So let's just roll right into it. Gary is a. Uh, Gary has family in town this week, so he's he's spending a lot of quality time with family, I think, if you're wondering. Uh, and we've uh, – yeah, I guess let's just jump right into it. Anybody anybody have anything else in the idle chit-chat or witty banter section of the show to talk about? Nope. Okay. Wow, that was a – that is a big, giant bird. Banter? I hardly knew her. Oh, God. That was <laughs> terrible. Boy, are your arms tired. Um, you know, I, I do want to say one thing. I realized the other day that when we're podcasting from Pacifica – there's somebody else that podcasts in the Bay Area from a small P-town, and there's been some confusion. Uh, Petaluma. Petaluma, which is the opposite way of Pacifica from San Francisco. So if, if Leo and his guys are up north, we're the southern, you know, the, the SoCal uh, version of that, I guess. Is that where Twit's based? Twit's in Petaluma, up oh. where Jeff and Ryan and all those guys live, too. That's where you guys used to be, too, right? No, we were no. never in Petaluma. That was Sausalito. Sausalito, right. Which was a little bit north. Petaluma is a lot north. Huh. It's a long way. Everything blurs together in your country. That's true. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Uh, first things first, Microsoft's unveiled Signature this week. I'm gonna, I'm, this isn't the big story, but I want to talk about it because it is interesting to me. Uh, if you bought a PC from, like a, from HP or Dell or Lenovo or really anyone, uh, Sony notorious for this. Uh, Microsoft unveiled the Signature plan, which is a thing where you go to the Microsoft store and you either buy a, a computer that's labeled Signature or you take your own computer in, and they'll they'll decrapify it for you. One of ten locations. I think there's sixteen now, right? Ooh. Or is it sixteen opening later this year? Um, so the, the the reason they're doing this, I assume, is that when you buy a PC, it comes with a lot of shit installed on it, right? Uh, and multiple kinds of antivirus, anti spyware, uh, offers, value stuff. Why, why does that happen? I, you know, I, it used to kind of make sense, right? Because it used to be in the days when c- computer components were expensive, the manufacturers would sell space on the PCs that they were selling to Norton or, or, or McAfee or whoever, any one of, one of several dozen, in some cases, vendors. I don't know that that stuff's necessary. Like, but guess what? They can still make money from it. Yeah. Well, right. They can still make money from it. But the PCs are, are at this point, the components are really cheap. It's not like we're in a race to reach $1,000 or something ridiculous now. It was also the case where those partnerships, not just for antivirus, but for utilities that weren't that great on uh, the Windows default. But like, like what you what utility gaps are you missing on Windows well, I'm saying these days? On Windows 95, not right now. Oh, but yeah. With 95, 98, and ME, there were not great you know, yeah, it was nice. mail clients, you know, browsers and and you know for some extent like steam and stuff and there were partnerships put useful did you air quote the useful there no the really useful third-party software like steam on dell systems or 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 um uh uh, what was the defragmentation program the good disk keeper that used to be something you'd get for free on on kind of high-end machines and then of course because windows pcs all look the same uh on the desktop you know aside from wallpaper changes everyone you know dell hp acer they all had their own skins and so there would be you know, they customized actual framing in the world. Wow, I'd completely forgotten about that. But yeah. <laughs> and all the quick loaders and stuff to get to your apps, even though you already had shortcuts on the desktop. And right. let's not forget, you know, boot and, partitions for backup. Well, and the, and then the other big, well, I don't think they're changing the boot partitions with the signature stuff. But the other thing that they would do is, uh, is you'd get like a copy of Encarta 
or uh, or WorldBook or on a Nero. CD-ROM. Yeah, Nero. I you know Nero still sends me email. They're one of the biggest spammers. They still that exist. I get. Yeah, they still exist. It's still a thing. Hello, Christopher. I'm Nero. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of. Wow, that was that was a good pull, Norm. Uh, yeah, so signature basically, if you take your PC in for ninety nine bucks, they will make it de decrapified. The thing that's funny to me about this is that there's a tool called PC Decrapifier that does exactly this, um, or free. I think it, it yeah. used to be free. I kind of think that they charge something for it. Maybe it's Donateware. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's very inexpensive. It was like ten bucks if you had to pay some something. But Microsoft Signature Series PCs to get the signature. A certification, bring your PC in the store or buy it from them directly online or in their stores. And it's an additional $99. Yeah. Um, well, not only do if they you s- buy the PC, it's about the same price. Right. So you can buy like the crapified P- HP or the non crapified PC and they're more or less the same, same thing. But not only do they supposedly get rid of the crap that you get with other OEMs, they also helpfully, these real air quotes now, uh, install their essential apps oh so like uh windows live mail and windows live photo gallery and, and, and msn messenger and not oh. just not just their apps either but i was reading that it's, it's also like if you want chrome or itunes they will help install those as well well that's so, nice yeah so like it's it's not it's not entirely a cash grab i, I think i'm gonna I take my cash grab but it's more of them want to control of uh the windows experience because they really mm-hmm. don't have control once they license that out and, and sell licenses to oems um they they have like a whole microsite for the signature PC thing, and they have the, their experts are of course like Paul Thoreau of Windows Supersite, um, saying surveys say people would love the idea of a Windows signature experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that two years down the line, eighteen months down the line, you know people are gonna Windows consumers and there are a lot of them uh, when Windows A comes out are going to associate Windows Signature with a more pure Windows experience or a better Windows experience. Well, right now, they're not even promoting this pro- program at all. Like, it, it's something that you've... Like, the only reason I know about it is there was a story in the Wall Street Journal about it the other day that Walt Mossberg wrote. Mm-hmm. They didn't send out press releases. They didn't... You know, the PR people haven't called us to tell us about this. It's only available in the store from Microsoft Online. Um, I, I think that the creation of a signature thing solves a problem that is that is a, a real problem for users. I... It annoys me that the problem exists still. It is a problem we've been talking about. I, I, I literally had this conversation with Microsoft before XP came out, before Vista came out, and before Windows 7 came out. And it's it's almost like they get to a point in the cycle and they say, oh, what, what annoys people about Windows and what do people really like about OS X? And then they approach that problem you know, as, as they reach the end of the cycle and are looking for things to do or, or whatever. What what kind of bugs me about this is that I, I feel like this is a second stab at something they tried to do a few years ago or, or maybe like even a year or two ago where they basically – there were certain OEMs, right, that were basically you know advertising that they were selling Windows PCs that had clean installs of Windows. Right? Well, that like was – a Dell and HP did right. that and I think Lenovo as well and, and I think Dell was like a $50 upcharge mm-hmm. to get the no crapware installed PC. I think the problem, like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm underestimating sort of consumers here, but I wonder how, how much of an incentive that is for consumers, right? Like, if you advertise a PC as being sort of free of pre-installed stuff, or if you say after the fact, like, you know, go and get your PC decrapified, I mean, I wonder if that's something that will resonate. I think the, I think the, the, I think the thing that will resonate isn't that message. I think the PC, the message that will resonate is, here's the pure Windows experience. If you want the pure Windows experience, get uh, get the signature edition PC. I think it's the same. It's it's kind of the same thing that's ended up happening with with Android and the Nexus line. 
I, I would love to hear from the OEMs about this because I, I have a, like, not even have a feeling. I just can't imagine they're particularly happy about this internally. I don't care. I mean, well, the, no, the, the, no, here's but. the thing. The OEMs, if you look at, if we want to talk about like the, the failures of the PC market, <laughs> um, look at, look at the Ultrabook initiative, right? Apple, basically the best thing that's happened to Intel in the last five or 10 years is the Apple, is the Apple, uh, is Apple using x86. When they started doing that, they suddenly had a partner that could make really nice looking hardware and pair it with a good user experience in a way that the PC OEMs have pretty, not, not universally consistently failed to do because there's always high points. But for the most part, they've, you know, Apple has provided a roadmap. Intel has said, Hey, we're going to give you a bunch of money to help you do this. And then none of them have been able to execute. The Ultrabooks have not sucked, but they're not, they're not good. There's no, there's no perfect Ultrabook. The guidelines are way too lax. Well, right. I mean, that's the, the okay. So the guidelines are lax, but the, at some point, when you have an open ecosystem like the like the PC ecosystem is, you have to say, okay, you guys are going to go take this stuff and then make a good product out of it, and and they're not doing that, or they're not doing it consistently. So I, I mean, I I don't know. Um, I don't know what the solution is at this point. I, I mean, I, I think at this point, I think that's why you see Apple getting, you know, early access to new Intel chips and chipsets and stuff like that. And I think that's probably going to continue until somebody steps out of the shadows of the PC ecosystem and starts making stuff that that's that's universally good. Is is all this going to be kind of like? Is this aimed at Windows Seven PCs or is this also sort of aimed at Windows Eight? Because I, I feel like. Yeah, Windows. It's got to be a predecessor. For, well, it's it's like, for Windows Seven now, but it's got to be a precursor to a similar program in Windows Eight or their their tri- trial. I mean, they've been doing signature for seven for a while. In store. Yeah, this is only, the new thing is bring bring your existing PC to turn it right. into a signature right. for hundred bucks. It's yeah. it's just a shame, right? Because you think that with Windows Eight, I mean, they would just try to curb that sort of thing completely because you know it's a new OS, it's a completely new look and feel. I, I you know for them to even think about continuing a signature series for Windows Eight just baffles me, right? I mean, who knows if that's the case, but. Windows 8 strikes me as the first version of Windows in a long time that might sort of have everything you want out of the box if you're, you know, a mom or dad home user. Like, I can't really imagine somebody using Windows 7 or XP and not downloading Firefox or just like tons of third party applications that are free or a mail client. Exactly. Stuff like that. But Windows 8 seems like it's trying to take that that kind of modern apps approach of everything is just right there on your big tile, you know, start menu and you just click on it and that's what you use your computer for. Yeah. I, I'm going to be, well, I, I think the browser is a special case. Cause I think like uh, just judge looking at traffic for IE versus everything else. I think a lot of people never, ever change browsers. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how the windows eight, like how that more integrated approach with windows eight is because they're going to have security stuff built in and the whole nine yards. So, so you're right. Like you're going to need much fewer, much less, uh, third party software, which means what's the crapware going to be on windows eight that Dell and Lenovo and everybody put on there. I bet it's going to, I mean, the thing that we're seeing now, the thing that you see now is stuff like Netflix. And I mean, it may, it may not be, it may be stuff that you actually kind of want, right? Um, it's more offers than, than than crapware in a lot of cases, which is kind of like I, I'm much less offended by offers than I am by something that's going to get in at a low level on my system and cause performance problems and compatibility problems down the road. Yeah, I would take a Netflix button on my homepage over a toolbar installation any day. Yeah, I mean, nobody wants toolbars and nobody like you don't need four different antivirus piece, pieces of antivirus software on the machine that are all asking for 50 bucks in order to unlock the full version. So um, I, I, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm going to be interested to see what happens with this, and even if it continues into Windows 8. And and 
something I just thought of now when Norm mentioned the sort of boot partition thing earlier. Uh, you know, what's to stop someone from then going ahead and realizing, oh shit, my computer's hosed, and then using HP's built in, you know, boot drive utility to restore a copy of Windows? All the crapware comes back. My guess is that they probably make a new restore. Um, Windows 8 has a built in restore disk creation functionality. Right. So you, you basically hit a button and it makes a restore disk for whatever position you are in the. If you're the type of person the, that pays $99 to get a, to turn your PC into a signature PC, you're not going to use that. Yeah, that's probably true. Store. You're probably going to go back to the, take it to the Geek Squad and have them fix it. Womp womp. Um, let's, uh, let's, uh, go on down the list here to talk about Verizon. Uh, Verizon's killing unlimited data plans. Uh, they're, they're, they're going to, I, I guess he didn't say he was going to kill unlimited data plans, but they said they're going to transition away from unlimited data plans for some They, are, they already don't have unlimited data plans. It, if you are, well, the grandfather didn't want Right. If you're a new Verizon subscriber right now, you have different tiered options. Um, and, but people who were Verizon customers, one incentive to stay a Verizon customer, especially moving to LTE. So people who bought the Galaxy Nexus was to keep your $30 a month data plan. But have it unlimited. Were they able to LTE, keep? Were they able to transition from three G to four G yes, and absolutely. keep unlimited? Because yeah. I don't think AT and T lets you do that. I'm not sure about AT and T. I hope they do, but uh, I know people who bought the Galaxy Nexus were able to transition from three G to four G or LTE and stay on unlimited. That no longer will be the case. I think they're actually going to take away those plans from people who are currently on unlimited. The grandfather plans will go away, um, and they're moving to a um, not not a, I guess account per or a, a price per user, but price per account, which includes shared accounts. Um, well, the, the shared accounts are new yes. uh, for data. I mean, you've been able to do a shared voice plan. Like Gina, for example, Gina and I have a shared pool of minutes on AT&T uh, so that when she uses some more a month than I do, then, then I just happen to use less and it all kind of works out. Um, the shared data plan is new because right now we have two separate pools of two gigs each. I would love to have a more uh, like the, the family style data plan. I think that's a much better alternative. Yeah. So you pay the $50 a month or $60 a month and you get, you know, five gigs, 10 gigs, how many, how many gigs you need. Right. And, and you share that between your family. Well, and the thing that that opens the door for then is one data plan with multiple devices. Because that's that's my complaint. Like it's it's weird to me right now that I have to pay thirty bucks for a, an iPad data plan and twenty bucks for whatever. But I mean, I, I think that this I think a lot of this uh, Verizon thing is a result of iPad sales. Uh, for the, the, a lot of the four G iPad sales going to Verizon, and this is a way for them to pull phone customers in next time there's a hardware. Spin. Yeah, but they also created a special data plan for just the, the iPad. Right. But Twenty dollars a month for for one, uh, I think one one gig, two, two gigs, one gig, one gig. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think that I think that the I'm not so upset about the going away of the grandfather data plans because they they they've made them not they've not made made them not unlimited data plans uh, through things that I hope they eventually get sued for. But I mean, justice moves much slower than I do, so um, I, I'm really interested to see what happens. What happens with the with the shared data plans? That that is really compelling to me. How, how uh, many? Oh no, go for it. Uh, how how many gigs do you guys tend to use a month on your? Depends on how much time I spend in the car. One and yeah, a half to two fair. gigs usually. Okay. Wait, like I, I almost always get the text messages that says you're getting close. Yeah. Hmm. Or, I mean, I'm, do you on, go I'm on three four gigs. I'm unlimited, but I'm on three right. four gigs just for the iPhone. But don't you get slowed down? Nope. Oh, because you're in a you're in a neighborhood where there's a lot of users. Yep. 
Oh, that's such bullshit. Wait, I'm unlimited what? on Sprint, so I, I actually... You actually are I've, unlimited, though. I've checked once, I think, how much data I used, and that was about a year and a half ago, and I think it was two gigs the, the difference, in a heavy month. But It doesn't matter how much you use, the difference in mindset for unlimited, and if I had 10 gigs a month, mm-hmm. it, it is... It actually changes the way you use your device. No, de- definitely. I mean, like, I, I went from having, what, I jumped from, like, a 500 megabyte cap to a 1 gig, and now I'm at 5 gigs. But, I mean, I feel like there's a certain point where when you have so much, it's almost like you can treat it as, a, I don't know, like, I treat my 5 I think gig the mental, as if it's unlimited. The mental, you treat it, you think so. But do you download podcasts? and so, do, you, do you watch video and stuff like that on yeah, your phone? Yeah, like, already owns, I usually use, like, 2, 3 gigs a month. But, like, I've never gone over just because, like, I, I don't know, I'm on Wi-Fi enough that I find that I... I don't go over it, but I can still ch- like when I put it this way, when I go out and about, I don't think to myself, I shouldn't download this 100 megabyte podcast because I'm going to go over my cat. See, I sit in the in the driveway and download the 100 megabyte podcast on Wi-Fi before I leave the house. Right. That's terrible. Yeah, it sucks. It's bad, it, yep. especially when the the limitation isn't performance of the network. It's the fact that I'm going to get yelled at by AT&T. Also, if you're on like a Android phone or Android tablet, your YouTube videos, when you stream YouTube, it's lower bit rate than when you stream it on an iPad. Yeah. iPad defaults to the, the high bit rate. Same with the, the iPhone. So, can, mean, you turn, can you adjust that yet? Is there a way to adjust that on the iPad? No. Mm. Automatically, you just want the highest quality experience. Is that worse with the uh, with the Retina display? Or no, like, no, the high def stuff looks still looks great, but then okay, so you know, it's not you, like higher use def up then. like in twenty minutes of watching YouTube, mm-hmm. that will be a gig, right? Right. What what was that thing you were talking about before with hot, more users in your neighborhood? Or I oh, oh so like, yeah, well, so uh, AT and T at least I think AT and T determines what the usage, what your when you get warned for using too much and when you get throttled for going over the limit based on the the users the other users in the cells that you primarily connect to. Ah, okay. So if Norm is in an area with a whole bunch of people that use a lot of phone, then he'll have more data than I do, which is the bullshittiest of the bullshit things. It, it's like top 5%, right, or something. It's they'll top send 5% you, on they'll yourself. send you a message. You're t- in the top 5% of users, and so we're going to throttle you. And that is a moving bar based on where you live. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, so I use the same same two... Two, one and a half to two and a half gigs every month. And in January, I got a warning. And in March, I got a warning. In February and April, I did not. <laughs> yeah. Which is, uh, that makes perfect sense, right? Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. of course. Like, it, it just sounds so nutty because, I mean, what if you're the sort of person that travels around a lot? Like, I mean, you live in Pacifica, but you used to have to go all the way down into downtown yeah. San Francisco all the time. So, yeah. Totally different yeah. cells. That, okay. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes uh, I rode the train and sometimes I drove. So I saw different cells there too. Yeah. It's the whole thing's weird and, and dopey. Um, so, so in terms, uh, also about data caps, Comcast today right. for the States increase its data cap from oh, 250. Hold on. AT&T is doing the shared data plans too. Sorry. That's, okay. that's on their roadmap for this year as well, but no timing. It but they didn't say whether they were going to kill their grandfather plans. Their AT&T has already made the moves to kill their grandfather plans. The throttling when you cross the five percent threshold is the move to kill the five, is the move to kill their grandfather plans. Error dependent. I'm okay in an urban area. No, I know, I know. Comcast has raised its bandwidth limits from 250 gigs to 300 gigs. Uh, the first time I think the increase, first time increases come in like three or four years. Well, so so they rolled this out in 2008, uh, and the cap has been at 250 gigs since 2008. Um, the, the thing that they, they had a big, long blog post. I don't know if you read it, but it was interesting because they explicitly said our goal with this was never to curtail legitimate use of the internet or streaming services, even if they're competing with Comcast, such as HBO go or, or, or YouTube, Hulu or Netflix. or Netflix or anything. 
they they said that their goal was only to curtail the implication is that their goal was to curtail uh heavy BitTorrent users and to 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 maintain because you know because cable nodes are shared among everybody in the neighborhood one BitTorrent one heavy BitTorrent user in your neighborhood can fuck up the entire network um so it's interesting because I I looked at my I went back and looked at my router to see what my traffic has been for the last three months two and a half months and the fact that you have moved. to go to your router and you can't go to the Comcast site to do it is well I could go well, to the Comcast site but it's easier to go to the router okay um I went to the Comcast site looked at looked at my usage and I've hit two hundred and fifty gigs for the last two months easy no like one was three twenty five and one was two seventy five um. Since we started working at home and doing a lot of video uploading and streaming the podcast every week and all that stuff, and with Gina homesick a lot too, she's watching a lot more Netflix and Hulu and HBO Go and all that stuff. I still find the bitrate on HBO Go is much worse than direct stream from the cable box. Well, I don't, I don't have the direct stream from the cable box. Okay, so I don't know. I don't have either of those. Well, I mean, you're from Canada. You should be used to this by now. Uh, yeah. But also, the incremental pricing now, if you go over 300 gigs, is about $10 for 50 gigs. Which, which is, is fair. It's very, that's very reasonable. Like, like $10 for 50, 50 gigs? 50 cents a gigabyte. Oh, if I had that for, for a cellular, that would be amazing. Right. I mean, I, I, I always felt like it was the, – the problem I had with the, with the Comcast thing before was that if you went over two if – if they warned you three times or something, they'd kill your service, right? Which is, I think, not right. The fact that they're now saying, hey, here's what the limit is. They've increased the limit to beyond what I would hit on a, on a normal use if I wasn't working at home, um, I, I think is totally reasonable. I have no beef with that. I think it's a good move on their part. Um, I wish that they would give cheaper services to people who were using less. I think that would be fair. I think if you're only using 50 gigabytes a month or 75 gigabytes a month, you should only pay 20 bucks a month instead of 60 bucks a month. I think that that's 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 hopefully that's the eventual outcome of this metered stuff. I don't think that that that's going to happen well, because it's not really in Comcast's best interest. Well, I mean, the way it generally seems to work with most people is that if you want to use less, you also have to have slower speeds. Right. Which is, I, I guess, I think the speed matters um, much less now. I think once you're about ten or twenty megabits a second, then the speed is um, for for the applications that are available in the United States today. Right. I think the speed matters a lot less. I think the caps are the thing that are going to kill us. Right. Um, I think if when we moved when we transitioned to 2K and 4K high resolution streaming, then that's going to require much faster bandwidth. Right, it's just going to be a mess. mess. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's a fairly 2K or 4K. What about 8K? Japan just successfully broadcast <laughs> 8K video over the air. Did did they did Wait, they, did the people's air. fillings over get hot or anything? Air. That's awesome! Wow, wow. how much what the bitrate was? How many but, people could see it? Um. Three. One video, are one there three TV of those station, TVs? One of those TVs, 8K. Oh, at CS, we saw the 8K TV at, uh, at Sharp's booth. We saw it again at NAB. We, we and, saw another one at NAB. And mm-hmm. I think the guy behind, he, he was telling us how they were like a, it's a ray of HDMI cables yeah. behind just to pump the signal to that TV. Well, because it's 16 1080p sets, right? Yeah. So yeah. many HDMI cables. Is that right? Is it 16 or is it? Yeah, it's sixteen. It's eight K, eight thousand uh, wide. Not so. So it's a four, do, four do, by four. Do, yeah, it's sixteen. Do. <laughs> I have to work it out in my head. Uh, I think I think this is a good move on Comcast part. I think this is a part in part of response to the people complaining uh, that HBO Go and Hulu and YouTube, well, YouTube less to a lesser extent, but HBO Go and Hulu counted against your bandwidth limits on Comcast, but the Xfinity app on Xbox does not. Uh, and and 
while I still think that it's weird that HBO Go counts and Hulu does not, as long as they're charging a reasonable rate for going over. HBO Go is now uh, on Time Warner. Time Warner subscribers can get HBO Go now. Oh, that's good. On their Xbox and iPads and stuff. HBO Go is a lovely thing. I, I, I mean, I, I have to say, I have used HBO Go more than anything other than Netflix since, since that's become available to uh, us. My question is, does HBO Go's value decrease over time as people watch all the backlog content? Like, it's great now because, oh, I haven't seen, you know, it's easy access to Sopranos and The Dead Wire and, and, and Deadwood yeah. and Band of Brothers and all the stuff I, a bunch of stuff I haven't seen before. But once I get caught up on that and it's just the new shows that I really want to watch, is it become, does it become less valuable? Oh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, the, the nice thing is that they, the list of movies that are on HBO Go has basically zero overlap with any of the other available services. Well, it's because they pay for exclusives. No, no I know. I mean, so that, so there's a value there as well if you like to watch a lot of movies. I think as you move through the backlog of series, then it becomes much less valuable to me. I mean, I've been watching Game of Thrones and Curb. I mean, it's, and, it's the same thing and, with Netflix and Deadwood. But Netflix changes a lot more frequently. Yeah, they take stuff off. Right. Well, so does HBO Go. I mean, HBO Go's stuff expires at the end of every month, basically. So, On the other hand, I think HBO is now probably producing more original shows than they ever have in the past. And yeah. for the most part, they're, they're pretty good. They're so, all good. Yeah, so obviously you're going to lose some, I don't know about True Blood. some backlog content. But the rate at which they're putting stuff out is increasing. So yeah. that's, that's good for it. I mean, they, they definitely get that original content. It makes a difference for them. Norm hates Anna Paquin, it turns out. Who knew? Yeah. Shrug. Womp womp. But that Lena Dunham. I like the quote. I like the quote in that Comcast <laughs> post. It says, we've never had any intention to limit the lawful use of the internet or restrict our customers' ability to view online video. Please, please don't investigate us. We're just a bunch of friendly furniture makers up here at Cable Town. Uh, did you see the mind-controlled robot arm? Uh, yes, I did. Um, this was a, uh, I guess, quadriplegic. quadriplegic. Yeah, a woman who was a, uh, uh, she's has a bionic arm now. Well, she can control with a mental with a, a brain implant. She can control a robot arm with, with her, her mind. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is exactly the right response. Matt Braga's squeaky voice. Um, <laughs> no, it was it, so so. She was able to like pick up a drink, put it up to her mouth, drink the drink out of a straw. This is crazy um, and all uh, by training her mind to make the right patterns to control the robot. See, that's necessary, um, like, by uh, robotic enhancements, cy- cyborg enhancements. Uh, do you want to talk about the unnecessary well, cyborg enhancements? I wanted to talk about our experiment with brain control devices first. Do you remember this? No. Do you don't remember when we when we had the Jedi mind trick uh, training tool? You're talking about just... Uh, EEG, EKG. Yeah, the e- I think it's an EEG, the thing that you hooked on your head and you had to get your alpha waves and delta waves to the right place so mm-hmm. that it would lift up. Mm-hmm. I, I remember using that for Unreal Tournament in with one of those uh, those headsets. Oh, that never worked. Yeah, it did. I, you, use it to, you concentrate to fire. You still use the mouse and keyboard to look around. Yeah, but... But you concentrate what? to fire. Oh, that, what? That, Magic that, missiles from your brain. Yeah, but but you if, you if, always if you, shot three seconds after you wanted to shoot. Whoa, that's, that ruins that's, that's the that's point a Will Smith problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the unnecessary augmentations. Okay, I was I didn't have this on the list because, uh, but I I, I did a, there was a, a Reddit post an AMA on Reddit last week about um, a guy who had uh, magnets implanted in his fingertips. So that he could then, which which has a unique effect. I think this is this doesn't fit into the unnecessary. This is in the cool and moderately useful 
but not like life changing. Moderately useful means unnecessary. I think I think if you are in the right profession, this could be a life saving implantation. Okay. So uh, the way it works is you cut open the tips of your fingers, jam some very very weak magnets that are uh, coated in silicone or uh, I can't remember what the there's a new material that they use that's safer, uh, but and then let the wound they stitch up the wound and let it heal. Uh, so that it's extremely painful. For- well, uh, don't don't jump ahead, Norm. Wow. Okay. So you uh, so what happens is when the magnets are implanted, uh, when you move the when you when you move your fingers near a magnetic field, anything that's a magnetic field, whether it's a, a sixty hertz wire, one hundred twenty hertz wire, a speaker wire, a phone coil, whatever, the magnets in your fingertips vibrate. That triggers the the mechanoreceptors in your hands. And uh, you get a unique sensation that is tuned to the different kinds of wires, the different kinds of current, and the different EM fields that are running through the through the thing that you're near nearby. Uh, and so the guy who did the AMA on Reddit is an electrical engineer, and he uses it to know when things are live, when they're not, and it gives you a basically a sixth sense that lets you detect magnetic fields up close. I think it's really cool. Now the downside is that it's not a medical procedure. So you have to go to like tattoo artists and piercers to get it done. There's only a handful of them that do it. And of course, no anesthetic. So you have to be kind of hard, for lack of a better term, uh, to do this. Because they basically cut open the fleshy part of your finger, jam a magnet into the fat layer underneath, and then stitch you up all without any kind of even local anesthetic. So what you do is you soak your hand. Uh, Quinn Norton had it done years ago. I don't know. I talked to her about it the other day. Uh, She used to write a column for us when we were at Max BC. And uh, she said that she soaked her hand in a in a bucket of ice water until it hurt, and then uh, uh, took it out and and they made and the cuts splice and uh, jam it in there basically magnets near your fingertips. Yeah, uh, I think it's I think it's uh, like I said, not for everyone. There's some some other downsides. If you ever have an MRI, you have to have them removed. Yes, <laughs> for fairly <laughs> obvious reasons because you you don't want to fly across the room by your hand. I don't um, think your hand would fly across. No, the they, they the just rip from your hand from your fingertips. Your that is terrifying. It um, definitely sounds like the kind of thing that would be really awesome for a few months. And at some point, surely you would encounter a situation in which you wish you could turn that off. So I asked Quinn about <laughs> it. No off switch. I asked Quinn about it, and she said that it just became like after a very short. You, the thing you do is you put it on a un, uh, less used finger on your on your your uh, non dominant hand. So she had it on the ring finger of the hand that she doesn't write with. Um, that is the most useless finger. It is the most useless finger. Like they've determined that it's yeah, the most useless it finger. Because you, you use you your could, pinky to grab yeah, stuff. Yeah, you could, you could live comfortably without that finger. Lots of – that's why you put your ring there Let's too. Let's test it. Gets okay. caught in the <laughs> – I have a butcher's knife. We can, we can do this right now, Chan. Uh, anybody know how to make a tourniquet? Uh, so she said she had to have it removed after the MRI uh, when she had an MRI a few years ago. And she said she was bummed because it uh, – like it, it was something that that you became so accustomed to that you didn't put that finger near something that was going to trigger it if you didn't want to know if it was on or whatever, and it was really neat because you could tell like which wires on the outside of a house were telephone wires, which ones were electrical wires. You could like Ethernet has a unique signature, um, USB has a unique signature. So you can tell like it, it it was. She said it was really useful and she misses it. So, did but the, not enough to have it redone. Did the Reddit guy do it on all of his fingers, or was it? Just- he did two. Okay. Um, and there are some other problems. Like if you if you like rock climbing or something, you have to put it not on the fleshy part of your finger. You have to put it off on the side. Um, and then the 
anesthetic thing is a is a big downside. Why can't you just bring anesthetic? Uh, I mean, I I think you you know there's laws against about that kind of stuff. Isn't Stapleton's wife an anesthesiologist? Exactly. There we go. Freelance anesthesia, <laughs> Lady Stapleton. Um, there, there's another story that came out this week. I saw this one. This one, it's funny. I love watching stories go from like the science blogs that 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 I read every day to uh, Reddit and and Slashdot and ours and stuff like that. And then like this morning it was on Today Show. So there's a guy who had four magnets. I think four magnets implanted in, in the four in his forearm. Oh, you can't use the magnets that are implanted in your fingers to pick stuff up either because they're very weak. Uh, you can pick up things like staples, but if you if you put a neodymium magnet or something that has another strong magnetic field to it that will hold on to your finger, it kills the skin between the magnets and the and the if you leave it on too long. So you you, you like it's not like you gain the magneto power to pick up metal with your hands. Um, this guy, however, embedded the magnets on the outside of his skin. And he uses it to hold an iPod Nano on his arm. I saw that. Four little studs, right? Four little studs. Yeah. Now, that's arm. dumb. That one's dumb. 100% yeah. dumb. One of, he wanted a strapless band for his iPod Nano yeah. to go running. Yeah. Why not implant magnets on his arm? I that think makes perfect sense. That's just one level above the guy who put a USB port on his fingertip. <laughs> but that guy actually had his finger already cut off, so he decided to have a, a prosthetic with a USB See, port. that's okay. Um, I, the, the, the other dumb one that I remember was the guy who had the RFID chip implanted in his forearm so he wouldn't have to carry a uh, security badge to so get to his a office. Cat, right. A pet. Basically, yeah, he got chipped. Uh, although those aren't, those are like, he had the kind that you hold up the, your wallet to the door unlocker thingy, which seems crazy to me. Cause what if they change, like if they change the door unlocker thing and you have to get a new one. That is oh, slightly more lazy than the. I don't want to take my wallet out of my back pocket to tap the door. So I'm going to jump with my butt to the door. Is this a value judgment about someone you're talking about? I, I'm just saying I know people who do that. Why are you looking at me, Chan? I'm not looking at you, but I know you're people pointedly who, not looking at me who went with, with the key pass on their back pocket would just do the jump uh-huh. to touch the What if they were the tall enough lock? that they didn't have to jump? Well, then it would be easier. Uh, what's the laziest thing you've ever done, Norm? I don't know. It's a very Wes, broad. what's the laziest thing you've ever done? Not have a job during summer in college. You can do better than Stay that. Stay in bed all summer. Have you ever taken like cereal and milk to bed with you so you wouldn't have to get up to have breakfast in the morning? No. Hmm. Water and cereal? I can, that's gross. That's I can lazy. prolong <laughs> laziness for great periods, but I don't think I've ever hit like a, you know, slouch. Your room is covered in garbage because you're too busy to throw things away. Period of laziness. Hmm. Like Braga? What's, I, what's the most Canadian lazy thing you've done? I, I once wanted to make a bean burrito, but was too lazy to make the bean burrito. So just ate the beans and the cheese. In a bowl? Well, it's, it's just, a, kind of just on their own. Out of your low hands. carb, low carb just, bean just, burrito. You know, spoonful yeah. of beans, a block full of cheese. Chipotle sells that as a meal. <laughs> the low carb version. Chan, I'm coming back to you. What's the laziest thing you've ever done? Sleep five hours. What? No. That's terrible. Yeah. No fun. I wish Gary was here. He's good at lazy. Um, there's a solar eclipse this weekend in North America. What part of North America? The west coast of North America. Ah, oh, fuck off. Guess where you're going to be? <laughs> Wait, this weekend? Yeah. Oh, hey, I'm going to be here. This yeah, is there great. you go. <laughs> hey, man, you, you're, you're in California now. I, I know. I what just, time did you get up this morning? Uh, in my time, I got up at 4 a.m., which was 1 a.m. this time. So you've been up for 12 hours now. Yeah. 13 yeah, almost. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. 
so solar eclipse is Sunday afternoon, 5.30 PST. It's only the northern part of the West Coast, I think. So mm. maybe it's the southern part of the West Coast. I can't remember, but we'll, I'll put a post up on the site tomorrow that tells you how to see it. So Canada. Um, you're, uh, I, I think it cuts Canada off. I think it just kind of it's it's a weird this is a weird one because it's mm. uh, but it's a full uh, if you're in the right area and of course the neat thing about solar eclipses when they're not when they don't completely block the sun is that the shadows on the ground get really weird uh, were you at future when we had the last big solar eclipse storm yeah so it was at like one o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon or something and you went outside and you, like everything looks pretty normal because you know you can't you don't look straight at the sun because you'll go blind um, but the shadows are all curved. So, so there's like a the huh. curved curve taken out of the shadows on everything, and looking at a, the, the shadow of a tree becomes really weird and kind of a deciduous tree, not a coniferous. Thank you for the distinction. Well, with the with the needles, they don't kind of make the right kind of shadows. You need no. something that's solid. Um, Wes, you wrote a really good story that went up this morning. I did write a really good story that went up this morning. Modest, aren't you? Yeah. No, it, it took a lot of work, um, but I was pretty happy with it. So. Uh, emulation is nothing new. People have been emulating arcade games and classic consoles for a pretty long time at this point, 10, 15 years in, in some cases. Um, but, uh, but the, some of the emulators are different than others. And then there's a lot of kind of uh, complexity uh, to emulating even something that's at this point, 25 years old. So uh, you talked about a SNES emulator. Yeah, it's called BSNES. And like you were saying, emulators have been around forever uh, a lot of the Super Nintendo emulators started up around 1997, and you could run those on pretty much any PC that you had in 1997. Like a Pentium, like Pentium 133 or something. 25 like megahertz right? processor was kind of the bare minimum back then. That's because um, the SNES had like a 3 megahertz processor. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it came out in 1991, and even then, it was not exactly like a, a super fast processor. It wasn't a high-powered N- machine. Nintendo has never done hardware... Uh, on the cutting edge they always they on 64 one time yes and no they always <laughs> make money off their hardware they but always use cheap enough components that they can make a profit unlike sony and microsoft who will take a two or three hundred dollar hit on a console just to sell software uh, nintendo makes money on both which is pretty smart um, and they were able to have the nes and the game boy live for years despite being super cheap yeah um, so anyway, this guy started up a project in 2004 with the goal of emulating the SNES to hardware perfection as much as he possibly could. And that requires... Hold on, let's ex- explain what that means. Because when you look at, for example, like MAME, which is the arcade emulator, or the other SNES emulators, they kind of use end-arounds to, to simulate uh, what the way the chips actually work without actually emulating the chips perfectly, right? Yeah, so stuff gets super complicated, but basically there will be... Uh, it's it's all in the way you code the emulator and how you take code from the original hardware and games and realize that on a different platform. Um, but in a lot of cases, say you'll have a game that uh, it doesn't work right in your emulator. So instead of emulating the way the the actual hardware would perform that game right they'll just speed up the the fake cpu that they have written for and, the and, Super Nintendo. and there is a literally a virtual cpu 
that gets run on the X, on top of the x86 that's what emulation so it's, so, is exactly. so it's like a, it's almost like a virtual machine where you run a, a different version os or something inside an application right so say they boot up this snes game and it only runs at 15 frames per second or there's like weird graphics glitches or whatever based on the way it was programmed they just speed up the cpu or they write a game specific hack to basically fix those errors and then they'll put something in the emulator code that will make it detect that game so that when you boot up Mega Man X2 the emulator goes oh I know this is Mega Man X2 I need to run this specific code to make it work properly um and the downside hmm. of that is one you're not actually replicating what that hardware could do and what it wasn't capable of doing and that throws in a lot of bugs when you're talking about uh, timing for the way things are supposed to happen in the game. And in some cases, that will even break a game based on some weird you know, way it was coded back in 1992. Well, and with the SNES games, especially it gets even more complex because they had, in some cases, like DSPs and stuff that ran inside the cartridge ROM, right? Yeah, so that was basically what my, my article focused on was how um this the guy who created bsnes sort of led the charge on trying to get this hardware perfect emulation which is especially difficult with the super nintendo because like we said it had this really slow processor at the time I mean, it was decent at the time but it wasn't fast enough like for example the sega genesis had but a seven megahertz processor yeah. so twice as fast basically as the super nintendo man that was good times yeah blast <laughs> processing and obviously there are other factors to what a system can do other than just cpu cycles but it's still the super nintendo needed some help and they planned ahead to create these chips basically little processors they embedded in a cartridge to that the cpu would offhand calculations to okay uh so is this what the mode the mode 7 stuff was or is that something different mode 7 sort of different that's just a a term for a type of it was like background rasterization. Background exactly. They right? had different different ways they would do sprite art and different layers. There was modes zero through seven, I think, or there might have been more than that. I can't remember. Uh, so the the coprocessors were totally different. This is stuff like the Super FX chip, which is why a couple years into the Super Nintendo's life, you got Star Fox and it could do polygonal graphics, which oh, nobody okay. had been able to do before. And you had like Super Mario RPG, for example, that had like the isometric. 3d graphics that was stuff that the super nintendo couldn't do with its regular cpu so it needed these little chips embedded in cartridges game specific and the chips weren't all the same even the super fx ones so there were a few that were kind of more general use like super fx was used in a few different games um, but there were a few of these digital signal processors that were literally only used in one game. Yeah, or that's in, crazy. Or in one or two games. Is it, and this is why some of those SNES cartridges, even when they were new, were dramatically more expensive than than other games. I think right? that was part of the reason. Uh, I talked to him about this a little bit, and he didn't know too much about pricing. Um, so that certainly played a factor in it. But the the big thing that changed. How much a game cost was basically the ROM size. Oh, okay. Uh, and that stuff was just really expensive back then. So when you had a bigger game uh, that needed, you know, twice the ROM size of Mario, like Chrono Trigger or something, that's why that cost like $90 when and, it was new. And how big were those games then? I mean, they weren't very, very big, were they? No. It was I like mean, 64 megs at the outside, or was it 8 megs oh, at the outside? I can't remember. Like two or four, yeah. I think, at, at the biggest. Um, I think Star Ocean is probably one of the bigger games. It was never released over here, but it has like 
three seconds of voiceover at the beginning. Yeah. Wait, uh, what? Yeah. That's it's, crazy. It actually directly lifts audio from Star Trek, which is really funny. Like, it has an opening that is Star Trek. Dun, and dun, so dun, there's a reason it never came out dun. in the United States. <laughs> I can't imagine why. Yeah, they would have so, gotten so super sued. You talk about DSPs inside the actual game cartridges to emulate that. They needed to actually see how those DSPs worked. Yeah. And to see how DSPs work, they needed the actual game cartridges. Yeah, so for some of them, they were able to... And a lot of these games were pretty common, right? Like, Star Fox is not a rare game. No, no you can some go of the them, market. Some of them are rare. So with some of the ones, like the Super FX that ran programmable code, they were able to reverse engineer that without uh going to drastic measures but for a lot of them these were locked down cartridges they ran their own code that was pre-programmed into the into the cartridge into the rom so they had to get the cartridge open it up uh melt off the plastic covering wait this is drastic measures yeah this is drastic measures i mean you need you need a professional electrical engineer to do this basically you melt off the plastic covering of the chip with acid and then you scan the chip with an electron microscope okay and then that's how they're able to read the rom data and then from there they have to figure out a way to like interface with it upload code for example from a cpu to tell to trick that that uh that cpu that dsp into dumping its code so that then they could rip it and save it onto their computer so you're saying that they they open up the the chip with acid yeah and then they aim a scanning electron microscope at it so they know what it looks like and they can actually see the bits on the rom chip yep that's bananas. But you're talking about, you know, it, it was. It's not as complex as the modern day. Well, no, obviously. Chip, so. yeah, I mean, it's yeah. still a lot of work. But it's you can actually parse that. Yeah, I mean, these the diagrams. This was this was micrometer processes, right? These were things that they did with like uh, uh, real light or you, you know, real light uh, um, lithography. I assume. Yeah, then. I'm not sure exactly how the the scanning process worked. Uh, I wanted to talk to the guy who did it, um, but unfortunately, he wasn't wasn't interested in talking about it. Uh, but Basically, they found this this small emulation community around BSNES found a guy who had previously helped out with the MAME emulation scene in uh, scanning some of these uh, like cartridges for MAME. Classic ROMs. Um, yeah, scanning circuit boards. So they got in touch with him, and he was willing to scan them for 250 bucks a chip, which was basically what it cost him to to perform the operation. Probably to get like, time on the electron microscope. Yeah, I would so assume, he, yeah. he basically did it for free. Um, and so they raised $2,500 to get all the cartridges. Most of them, they you know, somebody had one. They donated them. A few of them they had to buy uh, and then paid him to scan all the DSPs. And, but this is, it's a destructive process, it. right? Like the, the cartridges aren't going to work after you acid etch the covers off. And I assume that that ship, I don't, I don't know if it would be functional or not after that. Um, probably not, but yeah, but yeah I'm not positive, positive. So, so what are some, uh, what are some sort of like real world examples of games that, um, you know, aren't really emulated properly that would really sort of benefit from, uh, you know, this perfect emulation. So a lot of them are really minor. Um, me- I use Mega Man earlier because that is an example of a super minor thing in, uh, just timing of the way, basically the way the fake SNES CPUs run that game versus the way real hardware would run it, you might get like some sprite flickering or something just yeah. doesn't quite display right. Or the like shadow Mega doesn't Man show X right. for PC was the worst thing ever. Yeah, so things just, yeah, shadow doesn't work right. Uh, flickering, maybe it doesn't run at quite the right speed. 
things that basically no one notices unless they are extremely into this stuff, which is why ZSNES, the most popular uh, emulator, has like 26 million downloads versus some number in the thousands for BSNES. Hmm. Okay. Um, so, but the interesting thing to me about this whole story wasn't really the, te- I mean, the technical stuff is cool and, and kind of amazing because I mean, these guys have spent literally thousands and thousands of hours working on this. Yep. Um, but the interesting thing to me is the archival aspect, which is, I think where you're getting ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, BSNES, I don't know if he, he started with the goal of hardware perfect emulation. And as of uh, March or April of this year now has support uh basically bug free i mean you're always going to find bugs for every official super nintendo game ever the last game was a japanese shogi game uh and it used one of these dsps to just like do ai okay uh and so that was the last game so it can run anything now anything that's not like a rom hack um and and, I, it, and it runs it without, and, and it runs it without having to say, "Okay, this is this drum. This is what yeah, I need to no do." Yeah, no cheats. It's no cheats, that, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. So the the kind of benefit of this, I think, to the larger world of just technology, video games in general, is this is the best example I've ever seen for somebody just completely, perfectly preserving like a wide swath of technology culture. Or video game history. Yeah, Yeah, of history um, that will live on on a different platform, basically identical to how it was originally. Um, At least it's the best example I've ever seen. It's it's still never going to be perfect. I mean, there are still minor differences in the emulator versus the Super Nintendo. But if a Super Nintendo, like, purge happened and every console was erased off the face of the earth. Or the, the Book of SNES. Walking the earth. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's one last that Carnegie. Denzel Washington is walking around with the very last with, copy of Chrono Trigger. That's right. <laughs> no more Super Mario World, guys. But I, I mean, it's possible that that could happen. I mean, things like that have happened in the past. If you look at, um, if you look at like the yellow dye, the, the yellow uh, pigment problem in photos that happened, I can't remember which film it was. I think it was Kodak, uh, Kodak print film in the late 60s and early 70s, the yellow pigment is the yellow pigment or the blue pigment. One of the pigments is basically faded because the chemical broke down. So, I mean, if there's a chemical, like the the ROM carts aren't going to last forever. Yeah, absolutely not. Like the substrates will start breaking down eventually and they'll lose coherence. And it's more than just the batteries conking out. They're like the data on them will be gone. Yeah, I mean batteries. That's something you can easily fix, right? But when the data is gone, it's gone. Right. The whole time I was reading this, I was thinking of man, emulation. It's like Instagram, but for for video games and. But not really. I mean, Instagram is that is is, is precious. I am calling your shit on that. No, same thing. They want to replicate something that was a artifact of that process. But not not no 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 because this this is different. This is different. Instagram is adding. Uh, 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 oh, no, I'm saying Instagram is the wrong way to do it. Instagram, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Oh, the yeah, analogy yeah, yeah. is okay. Instagram yes. is the artificial, nice recovery, fake channel. way of doing it, and <laughs> there is no real out. way of of you know of actually you know because digital images don't deteriorate in the same way that yeah photo, real photos do. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason to have lens, yes. lens, this, no, bad that's what lens. I'm this is why I hate artifacts. filters. Yeah, no, okay. I was gonna say you, you're riding the wild there for a minute, but you pulled nope. it back nicely. Nope. So part of the reason I tried to make uh, the focus of the second half of the article about software preservation and how some of this stuff is 
kind of in a bad place right now or is going to be in a bad place very soon is when I was talking to the guy who made BSNES and he said, yeah, I'm not sure if anybody's going to care about this stuff. I'm worried about the emulation scene. But more than that, he says, you know, Super Nintendo hardware will be around for a while, right? It's it's going to take us a long time to get to that last Chrono Trigger yeah, I mean, cartridge situation. We're still driving Model A's, as it, Adam pointed out. Exactly. So that stuff's going to last for a long time. But he says that more modern cartridges like Nintendo DS cartridges, for example, the type of ROM that we use in those is, I don't know if it's necessarily cheaper, but it has a much shorter, shorter lifespan. lifespan than the type of ROM they were using in 1991. Well, and as the data density goes up on any medium, the reliability of it generally goes down. Right. And so we have we have so many things now, you know, stored on flash memory, and these games are going to last maybe a third as long. Well, it's it's interesting because one of the things that they said when CDs were when recordable CDs were introduced is, "Oh, look, you'll be able to put it buy the gold discs from Kodak because they'll last for 100 years." Right? If you want to archive your photos and stuff, the way to do it is with this optical medium. It's much more reliable than tape. If you move it next to a magnet, you're not going to lose all your stuff. But then it turns out that the that the the die layer on recordable CDs is good for ten or twelve years, mm-hmm. for you know, kind of as an average. So if you have ten year old CDs burnt, which almost everybody probably does at this point, odds are there's going to be data loss on those discs. Yeah, and this stuff just really fascinated me because uh, Jordan Mechner just in the last month had posted this interesting article that I mentioned in my story. Uh, and like I grew up playing Prince of Persia, uh, and I thought it was really interesting that he he found the discs, the floppies, uh, yeah, the source code disc that he had misplaced twenty years ago uh, of Prince of Persia. And sure, you can play the game still. You don't need that source code, but it's interesting. It's an interesting relic of what it was like to code games in nineteen eighty nine. Well, and the, I mean, the other thing is, if you look at games, especially Japanese games from I didn't realize this until I was talking to Jeff and Ryan one day, they didn't save source code or assets. I like there are tons and tons and tons of Japanese games from the 90s and 80s that just don't exist anymore outside of cartridges. Yeah, I actually talked uh, to this guy named Richard Honeywood last year who was responsible for Squaresoft, now Square Enix's localization department uh, during the PS1 days. Yeah. And basically the first game they gave him. Uh, to work on. He was over in Japan in their office. They were basically just starting to realize after Final Fantasy VII came out, oh, we can make a lot of money in the United States. So they have him in-house to translate uh, like Chocobo's Dungeon, I think, was the first game they gave him or something. But they didn't preserve the source code, so they just hand him basically like the completed game and are like, yeah, translate this. and (laughs) Play the game. Yeah, and he tries to work on it for a while, and then he realizes... He can't like he just can't do it. He needs this the source code. He needs access to the development team, and they had already split off to go. Yeah, do they're other all stuff every everywhere else. Yeah. yeah. So he's like, I just this isn't going to work. And well, so from then on, they kind of learned that they had to, to keep that. Well, stuff. and the, the interesting side effect of that that's why a lot of those translations are so janky is because they had to fit the characters into yeah. the same character space yep. for the U.S. and the Japanese versions, and you end up having really crazy weird stuff happen. Yeah, yeah, a a lot of limitations in there. Yeah, uh, it was really. It's a great story. I think it's definitely worth reading. It's it's a it's a little bit long for us, but I think it's uh, I think you did a really no. Good it's job perfect length. I, no, no, I, it's it's a little bit long compared to our normal story. But yes, I think it's a great length. Read all of it. Yes, it's uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a lot to digest there, especially if you're into games, emulation, or other things. And there's going to be more stuff coming on that kind of front in the in the not too distant future, as Wes has time. Um, 
So we talked about the solar eclipse. Norm, you made fake drugs this week. I didn't make fake drugs. You made fake drugs. That picture was your counter. Oh, that's true. Uh, So uh, Wired had this kind of sidebar in their magazine, which uh, a lot of information was pulled from a this uh, 2009 LA Times report uh, about what Hollywood uses to make fake drugs su- substitutes like in blue, film. Blue, blue so when, when you don't watch, use real drugs. Can we make blue I meth? thought they we actually. There's a there's a rumor, urban legend, I guess, that Al Pacino actually did use cocaine uh, for Scarface, which that was an well, expensive make, pile of cocaine. Not if that was make real. Any uh, any judgment calls on? Um, it but, was the 80s, man. All sorts uh, of stuff happened. I mean, there are a lot of TV shows and movies. Yeah, about the drug trade. Drug use features highly um, in everything from South Park to uh, well, Wire. South Park is animated, so I don't think that. Oh yeah, fake okay. drugs. Yeah, drugs for that. Hmm. Um, Interesting, but ranging from you know cannabis to crack cocaine and meth. Yes, uh, Breaking Bad is very popular. So what do they actually use to make these drugs? And it turns out, uh, Ryan bought a bag of meth, fake meth. Didn't he? Oh, he almost did. Rocks, right? The like, blue stuff from Breaking Bad. I, yeah, I, a, a fake meth. Just fake, to be clear, fake meth. Yeah, he did not <laughs> buy a bag of real meth. Yeah, like, <laughs> but he, but he, I think he almost, I think he almost accidentally bought a bag of prop meth because he put too much. Like he said, oh, somebody will pay more than this. I'll put a thousand dollars in. Maybe I'll, oh, on eBay, or on something. eBay or something. Yeah, anyway. that is okay. First of all, don't ever. Okay, probably eBay won't do this, but the no, someone's gonna probably bid, and I just want to be part of that experience. <laughs> yeah, of, idea, and, and having my name on the record of I bid on this crazy item is. How people end up with random stuff. I when I was like ten years old, I learned the lesson about this because my dad was an auctioneer, and uh, you know we would always go to the auctions and and if there's something that my mom wanted or something, then they'd let my sister or I hold up the thing. So one day while dad was wow, auctioneering, you were the 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 child. I'm not no adjectives before that. Um, holding up, you know, the parents some parents lamp thing. Okay. Mom went to the bathroom and left us sitting there and didn't take the thing with her. So my sister and I bought a ton of shit. And my dad was just sitting up there doing the auction, glaring. Because, you know, you can't break the rules of the auction. Like, there's, 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 I'm specific so, I gotta rules. stop. My child over there is buying right. everything that we don't want. My dad that is bought- not a fan. No. That is a. Okay. Yeah, wow. it was bad. So were you buying like tractor why, why, wait, so not I bought only, ferns. Wait, wait, I like wait, wait, ferns. wait. So not only was your dad doing the auctioning, yes. but your mom was there buying stuff from that very auction sometimes yeah it's not there's no rules about that really no it's it's not like it's not like, like you he can't see you know, oh i'm, I'm now, ignoring that side of the room I'm, and i i see that paddle over there the thing you can't do is have somebody in the audience running up prices and not buying anything that's frowned upon but but if you're just if you're actually buying stuff that's totally cool it would have been way cooler if you were the kid who was was secretly upping the bids on everything yeah, yeah, some little four-year-old in a suit. Your dad gives you like a two percent cut. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like a bad subplot of a Disney movie. Probably, probably like a Newsies type thing, like, no, a, like, like a, a like a Baby's Day Out. Type oh movie. man, I wish I was in Baby's Day Out. So continue, Norm. I apologize. Uh, so to make meth, you can break a porcelain mug and then paint that with stain it with coffee. Um, if you want to make a, a porcelain mug, yeah, just like a co- coffee glo- cup. It doesn't then, look like that. Well, on camera. Like, oh, really? On camera, oh. it looks like meth. Um, it's, like, it's like when they use glue to, and, cereal to make the milk. Uh, the most interesting thing was for the cocaine because they don't use like they use powdered sugar. Well, and since people take it on camera, you have, you to, have, have to find something that they can actually ingest. Yeah, that won't kill them. Um, so they're baby laxatives. Really? You store baby vitamins? laxatives? Laxatives? Yep. That seems like such a bad idea. But, but, but 
And, Are there uh, no unwholesome side effects from that? I don't know. I, I'm not an actor. Tested. Um, I, I would love to know who actually went out of their way to try. Well, prop what master. was safe. Prop masters have. To, I we mean, that's ask their Adam job. And Jamie about this, <laughs> right? The director <laughs> says for this episode we'll need X pounds of cocaine. You know, a few grams actually have the actor snort, and then you know a few pounds in the background for the 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 drug bus shot. Uh, get me this stuff, and then the prop master has to come back to the set the next day with all that stuff ready. And they have their suppliers. So when they, you know, uh, for something like pineapple express, where at the end of the movie, they go to the, they have all the, the, um, the greenhouse stuff, right. They had to buy those plants, which were not real marijuana plants, but those are actually more expensive because they're fake. Are they just um, hemp or something though? I, they were expensive. Apparently. I mean, it's, see, I'm, I'm talking about like, how do you find out that, you know, how, how do you learn that baby laxatives is something that is safe to snort? Like, who is the person that just goes just out? And Somebody just, has you know, a real bad week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. snorting a you whole go bunch to the, of... <laughs> you go to the grocery store and buy all the shit that's white? And or, or they, talk, right. they talk to the druggies <laughs> who have really been ripped hurts. off. Oh, who right. cut who who, cut who, the drugs who, with who, other who things. Who have been ripped off, right? Oh, right, right. So, But I like, think that's a dangerous thing. Sometimes it's... Like I don't know what they do. Rat poison. Yeah, bleach. Yeah. Um, you don't want to snort bleach, no. <laughs> um, I thought it was vitamin B13. There, there's vitamin B13, which apparently is – that powder is used in actual making of yeah. some drugs to <laughs> to dilute it or um, – Weird. And also for like cigarettes because that's the most common thing. You know, there is some herbal substitute. Um, but some of the substitutes actually do – because they're, they're herbal, they do get the actors dizzy. But they're legal, perfectly legal, which I thought was interesting. Interesting. Um, so if you ever wanted to look cool on – it's not cool, but if you ever wanted Smoking to – Smoking is not cool, Norm, it, it, no matter what you say. Absolutely not cool. Um, but if you wanted to have one on screen and not take nicotine <sighs> – Don't smoke. Don't smoke. Don't smoke. Don't smoke. Don't smoke. Yeah. Um, I feel like that still doesn't solve the problem though of you know if you're someone who doesn't know how to inhale properly. I don't – I feel like having a non-nicotine cigarette – Is there a proper way to inhale cigarettes, smoke cigarettes in Canada, Braga? I, I, I don't know if there is a Canadian way to do it. Did they teach you this in school? Do you roll on a maple leaf? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I would not advise smoking maple leaves just, I, just to be clear. See, I grew up in tobacco country and it used to be that there were kids like during the harvest when it was time to cut, cut tobacco. There were kids that would just not show up to school that week. They'd be all out in the fields. And and one summer when I wasn't being a lazy ass like you, Wes. Thanks, Will. Um, I I had a job cutting tobacco. <laughs> so are you saying the that many this jobs podcast, of child Will? No, no, this was high school Will. In fairness, the many jobs, like summers of Will. Well, this was okay. So cutting tobacco is like a three day thing. So you take you get three days and you made fifty or fifty or sixty bucks probably. So you were in the pocket of big tobacco. Is no, that what you're saying? In the pocket of big tobacco, wow. I grew up in in tobacco. Sounds country. sounds like big tobacco was. Uh, I, did you have a different these, outfit for each of these jobs? <laughs> uh, yeah, I I wore overalls and a hayseed outfit just, for this one. Just overalls, right? The the upshot of cutting tobacco, the thing that you learn very quickly, <laughs> just overalls, um, is that when you cut the tobacco, you had to wear rubber gloves inside the leather gloves you were wearing. You know when you're working the machete. Because the nicotine, the the juice from the stem would soak through the gloves. It'll stain your hands. And right? well, you'd get super jacked up. It wasn't uh, that it would stain your. I mean, you would staining just your hands is bad. I guess. But yeah, you absorb. It would come through the leather gloves, and you would like people. People dropped out of heart attacks all the time during tobacco cutting time because they get too. too they have a nick fit basically. Broad, up, upshot does not mean upside. By the way, two Pardon? different words. Two oh, different words. oh, all right. 
Um, so yeah, Norm, uh, you're going to make some blue meth for us next week, and we'll yeah, we'll got a grab, I got a scale and everything. I know that was a good, that's a good yeah. scale, right? Eighteen dollars scale, perfect. Oh, yeah, Amazon. I, it's funny because when you when you that's the scale I use for coffee. It's the same one. It's the uh, AWS SC two kg. Two kg meaning its max capacity is two kilograms. two kilograms, but the resolution is five hundredths of a gram, so you get a tenth of a gram resolution, which is what you need for coffee, basically, and for meth, apparently. It, I don't know about that. Um, but but the interesting thing about that is when you buy that from Amazon, Amazon starts recommending all sorts of other interesting things as well. Can you compensate by you know buying a bunch of like Hunger Games books or something afterward? Well, I think that's going to make it worse, not better. Oh, okay. Yeah, then you just get a bow and arrow and a bunch of drug shit too. Archery is very popular. That's true. A um, couple of rumors. Uh, we'll get in the rumor section of the cat of the show. Uh, bigger iPhone screen next next iPhone. We don't talk about. We're not going to talk about it too much. I really no. The, the second you said that, you just, I set aside half an hour to talk about iPhone next iPhone rumors. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be back in a little bit. Um. So, uh, yeah, eggs on the table iPhone next iPhone the new iPhone oh no late summer not fall late summer four inch screen eleven fifty two x six forty resolution you think they're gonna up the resolution really up the resolution change the aspect ratio uh, not necessarily a taller phone but not so fatter no, uh, I don't know about fatter hmm. So the question is, are you going to get one even though you have an iPhone 4? I think buying the iPhone 4 <laughs> was one of the bigger mistakes I've made in the past. But you have now made that mistake. Six months. Um, yes, I have. I'm okay. I, I bought a 4S. Um, I so also bought an iPad 2. It's, which you've it's given been me. widely, well, yeah, widely rumored that Apple will go up to a 4-inch screen for the next iPhone. Uh, Wall Street Journal reported that suppliers have already, uh, Apple's locked in the suppliers for the cases and productions is starting, uh, which is why if production is starting now, uh, that leads me to believe that it will be a late summer launch rather than a fall launch. Um, so if if they do a four inch screen, there are a couple of ways they can do it. Right now it's a three point five inch screen, nine sixty by six forty resolution with a I think three twenty eight PPI. Um you they, think? I, I I'm pretty sure. Okay. And if you go four inches, you can first you can scale the screen four inches, make the phone bigger, but still have nine sixty by six forty. If you do that, the pixel per inch drops to two hundred and eighty, which, which is, is still the same higher as the iPad. No, it's still higher than the iPad the new iPad, which is about two sixty. Uh, but, but you do hold the phone closer to your face. So Apple could get away with calling a 960 by 640 four-inch screen uh, retina. I want to tell you a secret, Norm. No matter what they release it as, they're going to call it a retina screen, regardless I, of what the I, I, actual I, PPI is. Well, that's what I said, get away with. Right. They could also change the uh, increase size to four inches, keep the same aspect ratio, and increase the number of pixels. That is something that's very unlikely. Because then uh, current apps at 96 by 640 will have to be scaled up or run in a frame like they do on iPad. That's yeah. not going to happen. The thing we'll find out, we'll, we'll know, because if they're going to change the resolution of anything, they have to announce it at WWDC pretty much when they announce we'll, iOS 6. Yes. So we'll know in a few weeks. Which could be when they announce a phone. Um, they could change. Some people they're not going to announce the phone not, in a few weeks. They could increase the resolution to uh, 1024 by 768, which is iPad 1 resolution, and just move everything to... That scale, no chance. I don't think that's going to happen either. And I think the more likely scenario is uh, changing the aspect ratio, making it taller or wider, depending on how you hold the phone, and having it at about eleven fifty two by six forty resolution. Which means that nine sixty by six forty apps still run. You will have sidebar 
There's a whole family of baby goldfinches on the bird feeder right now. Like six of them. And they just flew away. Uh, but on uh, the home screen, adding an extra row of icons would be no problem. No chance. Okay. They might go 16 by 10. They're not going to go 4 by 3. Eggs on the table. I, I'm not putting eggs on the table. Not going to lie. I am not even remotely like I, this. this you, 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 you're, you like eggs. You like old stuff. It's not even that I like old stuff. It's just oh, this boy. isn't just the sort of thing I can really get super excited about because it doesn't. I don't feel like it's going to change my iPhone experience dramatically. Oh no, no, right now, right? no, it's not going to make this iPhone worse unless then app developers are going to be forced to develop for a different resolution screen. Mm. We'll find out in WWDC. Well, we'll find out about the screen stuff because they they do have to announce the screen resolutions if they change the way iOS renders apps at, at, at a low level so that people have to redo apps uh, so that they scale more like Android and, and, and well, I guess. And Android. for all we know, they could be keeping it at 3.5 inches for another generation. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't after I've been using some of the larger Android phones again and like the bigger screen is nice for some things and it is really, really awkward, but it basically means you're not able to use the phone with one hand. Well, and bigger these days means bigger than it did a year and a half ago. I mean, yeah. my phone, the Evo, is a bigger screen than the iPhone screen, and I think this is a—it's a pretty ideal I, size. I think that's a—I think that's a very good size. Like, yeah. I think I think the four, four uh, inch, up four point one inch, four point two, four point three, probably at the outside, I, I'm pretty comfortable with. I think once you get above four four point three, then things start getting real crazy. What what's and, the one X? Uh, I don't remember. I think it's four point five. Um, I'd, I'd have to look. The consensus is that if they are going to go for a bigger screen Apple, that is, then it will be a four-inch screen because then they can. Is that still what Gruber say, says when you say that consensus? That's consensus. What you mean, right? Wall Street Journal and people in the know. Wall Street Journal has been consistently. You know, we didn't talk about this on the podcast, but did you see the article where, um, uh, where uh, I think Harry McCracken went through Digitimes and 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 debunked all the Digitimes Apple rumors. And what was their percentage? It was like 7% or something like that. It was Very really, small. really I mean, low. They just, every other day, it's a supplier rumor. Well, because it turns out if you put, hey, I have an iPhone supplier rumor, then a lot of people come and look at your site, whether it's right or not. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in whatever they do next. I am. Uh, really? Uh, yeah. It's hard to believe. I know. Um, but I don't, I don't think, I think the bigger screen is probably a reality. I don't think they're going to be able to continue to release a four, three and a half inch iPhone. Uh, and, and that's going to hurt them if they go another year. The other rumor that came out a while ago, and this is, uh, there's less verification behind this one even is that they are getting rid of the dock connector with this next generation. I think that that's a good move. I mean, how many years old is that now? It is it original is really iPod. Old, and 2001. It is a no 2000 is second gen iPod. Uh, and that is so much dust and you know liquids fall on that. Um, all your accessories will be outdated. Well, I think that Apple probably is okay with that. Um, all those car accessories, cars with built-in iPhone I, lines. Oh my goodness! But I mean, well, that's why the uh, aux in is better. I mean, to be fair, the writing's been on the wall for ages, though, because when you look at all the things that a dock connector does, it does data. It does. It has like audio output on it. Like it's yeah. it's all stuff that AirPlay does now or that, you know. Well, it's it's funny because I've been doing uh, research on about the USB ports. You know, mm-hmm. you, you see we saw when we were at CES, uh, the Las Vegas Convention Center in a few places has uh, wall power plugs with USB ports built into them. And the integrating your power and your data charging in one port is great when you're at your house and you control the connection. But when you're at a convention center, an airport, something like that, 
I'm a little weird about plugging my data connection for my phone into essentially an unprotected, you know, it's not a protected interface, right? USB is not a protected interface for phones. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's no reason somebody couldn't put a forensic data capture device behind those USB ports in a public place and rip everything out of your phone. Um, and, and I've been talking to some forensics people about that. It, it, I'm going to write a story about it as soon as I get one more response back. Um, but it's it's to the point that I'm thinking I'm going to make some power only USB cords because you can do that. You can cut a couple of wires in the USB USB cord and have something that only does power and doesn't do data for would it public be, use. Would it be possible to pull that data off your phone without any sort of notification on the phone without you noticing? That's the thing. Basically? That's the thing I'm trying to find out. Um, I know that there are. I talked to the people who do PC forensic stuff. Uh, and and they don't do a lot of phone. Unfortunately, if your phone is in USB, reaching. like the both charge and host mode, yeah, then there's no reason why you know that phone plugged into a wall couldn't have data pulled off it. Well, so the 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 thing about the PC about the phone forensic stuff, especially, is it's designed to like get somebody's phone for five minutes, grab everything off of it, and leave it essentially unchanged. Is my understanding. Uh, the the forensics people are kind of hesitant to talk on the record a lot of times. Because they don't want people to understand how their forensic stuff happens. And it's different for each of the main phone OSs. So Android handles it differently than iOS handles it differently than Windows Phone and BlackBerry. Well, I mean, if you look at the way that some of the... And Symbian, Nokia people. (laughs) If you look at the way some of the iOS, like, jailbreaking stuff works, though, as far as I know, I mean, there's certain parts of that process where, like, information is basically being pulled off your phone and you don't see anything happening visibly, right? So, I mean, conceivably, it seems like that... That is totally possible. Yeah, or or it may just be that like you think the, you plug it in, you think the phone's crashed, and when you reboot, your phone has been completely, you know, everything's been copied off of your phone. That that's it's unlikely. Like, I, I've yeah. seen everything. Yeah, that sounds like the sort of thing that would just be like totally rife for like you know DefCon or one of those like hacker conferences yeah. where you set up you know hey free charging station. Just don't take just, electronics to DefCon. Yeah. Use paper and pencil there. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Tinfoil hats, people. It's you don't take a phone to DefCon. <laughs> Never, ever take electronics to DEF CON. Um, yeah. So that's the, that's the words of wisdom. From I don't, Smith. I don't think the, uh, I don't think the dot connector is going to go away this next generation. That's my, that's my thought. I don't think they have wireless charging stuff. That's good enough at this point. I don't think so. Either. No, I, and, I, you, I, and not being able to wireless charge in the I don't car. Think be wireless. Like I don't that. think wireless would be the replacement. Oh, you, you like I think a, a new connector. Oh yeah. Okay. With, Mag, with MagSafe. That's possible. A MagSafe connector for the iPod would be uh, iPhone would be great, fantastic. I love that. Uh, I I feel like that's a little lit less. Well, when you think about what makes MagSafe good on a laptop, it's because the laptop has weight; it stays in one place. No, I, I feel understand. like if you, yeah, but I mean, it the just phone seems, has weight too. Uh, I feel like it would be less useful if no, I. It, were it's to, useful, for example, dock because right now the thirty pin dock connector is clipped on. Right, so right. Squeeze the pins, clip it on, and in MagSafe when you just pull it. Off. I know, but I feel like if you're calling it MagSafe, you're implying that it, you know introduces some level of safety which i think would be misleading no right? i'm not gonna yeah. you know, flip my phone around like, like well like the a whip but the difference is with magsafe you're you're not likely to bend and break those pins off i always feel like that's right the, right like that of the points of failure on the iphone that one's pretty pretty high on the list i think hmm. uh, both from the cable side and the phone side because the cables are easy to, to crush too right like i i the one in my car i had to replace the other day because i stepped on it or something and bend it just enough that it doesn't <laughs> go in right anymore um, last rumor is that there this year there will be as many as five Nexus phones instead of just one. Say what? Yeah, because you know we needed more Android phones. Uh, the rumor I think is that there are going to be multiple vendors making Nexus phones when they announce uh, Jelly Bean at or Jelly is Jelly Bean uh, is Jelly Roll. 
It's jelly, jelly something. Jelly stone. No, jelly. Bean. Jelly. jelly bean. Oh God, jelly I, was, I was I didn't say anything just so you wouldn't say it, and <laughs> and you did anyway. Uh, yeah, so um, I, I would like to see more Nexus phones rather than crappy, uh, uh, you know, customized phones. I think that's not a bad thing. Signature phones. <laughs> signature. <laughs> signature. Phones. Yeah, exactly. Uh, hey, that actually be. If they offer that, pay a hundred bucks, and we'll we'll put the, the stock know, Android, stock Android on your over your uh, on your Captivate or you know over. Well, two, we got we got to stop making fun of Captivate because two years old at this point. But yeah, but yes, that, I think that would be a very good. People point. would pay for that. I think. Um, the well, of course, you can do it with Cyanogen if your phone's supported. So mm-hmm. it's you know no problem. The, uh, the the interesting side note to this is that Engadget went down and figured out all the phones that actually have ice cream sandwich that didn't launch with ice cream sandwich now, and it was a it was a stunningly small list. Yeah, it's it is not a not a good situation for ice cream sandwich. Yeah, I had, what are you no ice cream sandwich for you? Hell no. Yeah, HTC had I think two phones or three phones, and then a, a um, Samsung had the unlocked or Canadian versions, <laughs> or sometimes the unlocked Canadian version. Yeah. of this of like the galaxy 2 galaxy s2 mm-hmm. um a bunch of tablets motorola's only phone that has ice cream sandwich that didn't launch with it is the motorola zoom wi-fi edition <laughs> uh so that's a tablet not a phone i guess no lg phones and i think no htc phones maybe like a couple of australian ones I, I don't i don't remember exactly but it was i didn't count exactly but it was around a dozen at the outside and really specific subsets of the phone and we're gonna see uh jelly bean Later this, uh, like June, I guess, or when's Google I.O.? It's coming up soon. June. Yeah. June. Yeah. So. Well, the, the worst part about that, too, is that uh, it was in response to Sony taking their sweet time and putting ice cream sandwich on their phones and, and stuff. And, and Google themselves, I can't remember who it was, but someone at Google basically said, we don't think that waiting five or six months for ice cream sandwich is 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 much like that's totally acceptable, which I think is kind of bullshit. But I, I, I mean, the. The thing that there that's going to happen is that's going to be a problem for the enthusiast community, not for the mainstream community. But I think the mainstream community is buying iPhones. I think I think you know when Verizon's smartphone option was Android, then Android had a lock. Now that smart, you know, now that everyone but T-Mobile customers can get iPhones, it changes the dynamic a lot. And and I mean, I have to say, ice cream sandwich is really nice. Mm-hmm. Like using it, it's it's been really great. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute, but. Uh, anything else on the news front before I go on to what we've been testing? I want to talk about the story um, this photographer wrote. There's a bunch of interesting photography stories uh, this week. I didn't know which of these to put on the list, so I apologize. Uh, both of them. Um, one, uh, we saw at NAB, uh, Red was there, Red camera makers. And, you know, for example, uh, Peter Jackson is filming The Hobbit with Red Epics. He Book of Eli a, was on Reds, right? I don't think Book of Eli was on when it was on Reds. Um, there must, I, maybe. They did yeah. shoot digital. They should uh, maybe then maybe what well, maybe not not the epic the epic shoots no no the epic yeah the epic's, epic's new and it shoots five k video that's crazy five k five k is that so video. if you if your image is bouncy you can image stabilize down to four k I don't think that's how it works maybe it is <laughs> I I don't I honestly don't know uh, but it does shoot five k video at very high frame rates up to one twenty frame per second mm-hmm. that's a lot um, of frames and so what a photographer wanted to figure out is that could he use this camera shoot video and then pull stills from the video in place of photography stills uh, because you, instead of having uh, a rig where you mount both a, a video camera and a, photo, uh, a photo camera and then have to change your settings, um, you could just have one. 
Um, and anyone who's, you know, if you've p- tried pulling stills from video, you know that it's difficult because most videos, there's compression. Um, and also the frame rate is low. The shutter speed is low. So it's, it's about, you know, 24 frames per second, 30 frames per second, and you get a lot of motion blur. Uh, with, with the Red Epic, you can shoot 5K raw at 120 FPS and get really high quality stills. And what you found is that you can, you can, um, it's still, there's still some trade-offs. You can't change like per shot. Your what's the resolution of a 5k? It's it's about a 14 megapixels. Is this 5k horizontal horizontal. pixels? Yeah. By about 3000 or something. It multiplies out 2000 something. So So it's going to be like a five megapixel image. No, it's it's 14 megapixel image. 14. Okay. That's a big, that's a big picture. Yeah. So 14 megapixel picture, sharp picture with a great lens on on a video camera. It's going to look almost as good as one taken with, you know, DSLR. So that takes a lot of the skill out of photo, you know, taking photos. I would well, think. there is still a lot of skill in cinematography skill. And of course, right. this is a $65,000 rig that's much bigger than what you, than a DSLR. So it's less portable. Okay. But, uh, aside from the technical challenges and the technical, technical achievements by this camera, uh, you found that by recording everything, um, and just scrubbing through it after the fact, you get moments that you're just never going to get with a, a photo. Well, this is like Stapleton's secret weapon for for video game screenshots. Video game screenshots. Yeah. yeah. So when you take video game screenshots now, uh, a lot of companies, you know, they mock up their screenshots. So either using developer tools. Like for or like example, the equivalent think, of Gary's Mod kind of. Yeah. Like for example, I think Modern Warfare does it the worst. Uh, anyone who's – anyone in games business who's received press screenshots of Modern Warfare, they're – completely staged you never see those scenes it's like the perfect composition like the, the guy's michael bay running away from the explosion right, perfect and animation is yeah. like jeep upside down yeah it's, it's and, and all the yeah. screenshots have the same like follows perfect like photography rule of thirds um but it's never a scene you actually see in the game with all with a hud on or anything like that but and, and so in the game screenshot world if you want to take a screenshot for a you know a web story or a magazine you can hit fraps and hit your screenshot button you know when an awesome scene comes on or you can record video uncompressed avi footage which records gigabytes and gigabytes of of game capture at your full native resolution and then scrub through that in virtual dub afterward and pick out the one pick frame out you want. the one frame you want if you turn off your motion blur your anti-aliasing and your uh, your post-processing effects um which is how people do it now yeah uh, it's it's very time consuming still time consuming but you the results are much better and more natural because you actually see stuff that actually happens minus the post processing in, in the game um which it, goes to the other story uh which is about uh you know cg the photorealism thing and yeah and yeah. now that cg software i mean cg software has been great and cheap for a long time now and you go to like the cg society forums uh, and people post amazing CG images that look photorealistic. Yeah, it's, a th- it's things like um, like recreate. If you the thing that I always think about because the first time I saw this that, that I realized it was CG was at the beginning of Fight Club when they do that uh, the the zoom out of the trash can. Zoom out right? of the trash can to zoom over the uh, the oven. Yeah, with the refrigerator. That's all CG. Um, and at, both, at that time, it was incredibly expensive. Yes, it now it's still kind of expensive, but uh, it's anyone can do it and. It's being used. CG is used in advertising and marketing in, in places that you, you think it's their photos being used. Uh, and photographers are one photographer at least has, is worried that CG is going to replace some photography skills. Need for still photography. 
I, th- I mean, this is a say- this is a conversation we've had multiple times because when we, when people when Photoshop became a thing and people were compositing photos, compositing ten or fifteen or twenty photos into one image, then then there was the same conversation. Like this is this is just the inevitable march of progress, and photographers have to get on board. I think. Yeah, and and also I, I think photographers can do both. I mean, what you're going to get out of photography, like the video stuff, is more natural. I think there's a tendency, like going back to that modern warfare example, you know, when someone is sitting with computer graphics in front of a computer and trying to artificially compose a scene, yeah. you're going to try to make it too perfect, and that perfection is going to make it's is going to look fake. Well, and the, and then the other thing is, a lot of times it's still going to be easier to just make make it happen in the real world. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at the modernist cuisine photos. Those guys could have could have rendered all of those pictures where they did the cutaways of the of the pans and the grills and all that stuff, and instead it was just much easier to do it for real and and take on that challenge and and yeah it it was much easier to do that for real and do it in Photoshop because many 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 more people have Photoshop skills than have three D modeling skills. Like it's always going to be more expensive to do three D modeling than Photoshop just because the barrier to entry is higher. But the barrier entry is lowering. It's it's decreasing, but it's still it's still. 2D editing is going to be easier than 3D editing is going to be easier than video editing is going to be or, or you know, uh, like video animation is going to be, you know, it's it's never, we're never going to reach a point where it's easier to do a 3D model of something that it is to take a photo of the 3D model and and then retouch it. I don't think I think we're going to get close. Maybe actually maybe I, I like being wrong. It's something I do all the time. Anything else? Wes uh, no. Braga, uh, you had a good story on ours today, or maybe yesterday. Was it the uh, Was it the real time web piece? The real time, yeah, the real, real time web. Real. No, no, it's the, the reactive web piece. Is what oh, I was it was about. yeah, it was the reactive. Web. Yeah, that was from earlier today. So, that that was. Hmm. You know, we we have a site that's reactive. Tested.com. Tested.com is reactive. So if you resize, it, 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 explain the, what reactive is. Right, of course. Uh, reactive web design is basically a. Um, it, it's sort of a concept that's been around for a while, but was given a better name in the last few years. And it's basically a a technique where websites are developed so that they um, they respond to you know the device or you know the browser or the tablet or whatever that they're viewed in. So if you you know view basically you can code a website once. And when you view it on your desktop, it looks different than when you view it on your phone. Well, sort of you're re- telling me not to use tables. Yes. No, no <laughs> tables, tables. No blink that. tags. No, no scrolls. No iframes. Oh, man. I love iframes. Uh, no. This is, this is all using, you know, CSS3 CSS, stuff yeah. and, and, you know, more recent web standards. But, uh, yeah, basically the gist of it is you, you code a website, you, you code it once and you do it in such a way that, you know, when you view that same website in a mobile device, the website is smart enough to sort of, you know, rejig itself so that you know images get smaller and text moves around it, and it even rearranges and, the flow of the page yeah to exactly better suit the C- resolution. certain things can be hidden you can make navigation simpler it, it yeah it, it's it's sort of a way to save time during the development process so that you don't have to go ahead and make a separate mobile website any separate you know as long as i got website. fixed with columns yeah <laughs> well and it's more it's more from talking mike so mike horn did that when, when we were building the new tested mm-hmm. and there's some still some stuff to work out um but i think for the most part he did a pretty good job um thanks mike i don't know if you're watching uh but the thing that's interesting to me about it is it's not just an upfront cost it's also a maintenance cost because yeah. when you're when you're when you when we had two separate te- when we had mobile sites and main sites for tested and giant bomb screen nano device and and comic vine uh it's it's double the time anytime you make any kind of change at all to the site so by doing the reactive html Reactive, responsive, responsive. Sorry, I always yeah. mess that up. Uh, 
then then you you're able to do stuff much faster. So when we start, we're we're gonna roll out. This is something we can talk about later. But we've got a bunch of fixes coming to the site next week because Andy and and the other top men are back working on test it again, and um, uh, we should have some good stuff to show you. Hopefully Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. So we'll see. Woo-hoo. Um, but yeah, the reactive thing is new and and I think responsive. pretty responsive. <laughs> It's so new, I can't even remember the name. Responsive drinking game. Uh, yeah, exactly. Every time I say that wrong, everybody everybody does a shot. Um, it's it's pretty neat because it just works for the most part. Yeah, I I had a lot of fun yesterday when I was writing that, just opening up websites and just resizing the window and just watching everything kind of reflow itself automatically. It's it's kind of kind of mesmerizing. Yeah, and and the benefit is, of course, the normal the the standard sites work everywhere. So yeah, I I mean it's it's you know the big sort of caveat is that it's not good for everything um you know more complex sites or one one of uh the the creative directors at ours was basically saying that you know when you have sort of really complex editorial or advertising needs it it does not work very well well that is that is yeah. definitely the ad banner situation is going to be real weird when yeah with, the, with those things that's that's primarily why ours doesn't you know because of course you know you write about responsive design and everyone says well why aren't you using responsive design and it's like well so who were some of the the examples of sites that are doing it really well? The the, the boss, well, you didn't notice you didn't mention tested. I can't. I'm really my feelings are. Hurt I well, that. you know why? I I didn't realize that. Uh, I didn't realize that the redesign. That's was, fine. Uh, no, I, That's fine. Hey, I I haven't gone around and resized the tested window lately. <sighs> I'm so disappointed. I, just, uh, in I you. know. I'm I'm uh, sorry. But it was Boston Globe. The Boston and, Globe was probably the most sort of high profile example. Uh, after sort of tested, like, you mean? Yeah. After after tested. Yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> Boston Globe. Um, I mean, I used another example of uh, the Sasquatch Music Festival. I don't know who designs that site, but that was sort of another example. Um, there, there were a lot of sort of like a lot of like you know web designers and 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 portfolio people are sort of the other big sort of use cases for that. Um, it's pretty pretty new. Yeah, ex- I mean, yeah, it's it's probably you know it, the concept isn't new, but the actual implementation is only in the last like year or two. And it works in uh, Chrome, so far. it works in WebKit stuff, Firefox, and IE nine. Pr- pretty yeah, IE nine and newer. Yeah, okay. every anything recent, it'll it'll work in, which is kind of nice. So that is that is a big. I said geographical bias in those selections. Yeah, Sasquatch Music Festival. That, that's on the West Coast. Uh huh. In it's Canada, North, no, the West the, yeah. no, no. The Sasquatch Music Festival is not a Canadian music festival. I know it's it in, is it's a in Washington. Court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Washington yeah. is South the Canada, Canada of America. You know? uh, I don't know if I'd agree with that. I, I'm, I'm so disappointed. I'm so disappointed. I'm going to play the music, and we're going to talk about what we've been testing. So, Norm, you went on one of those dumb duck boats the other day. <laughs> I did. Oh, boy. Do you know? I want to go ahead and tell you. Do you know how dangerous? If I had known they were taking you out on duck boats, I might not have let you go. Why? Why They have a terrible safety record, despite what... No uh, one has died on one. Not in in San Francisco. Really? What's a duck boat? So... The duck boats are those convertible boat cars. The amphibious things. They are. Yes. Yes. They call them the ducks here in the United Uh, States. Yes. They might call them the geese in Canada. I don't know. (laughs) No. Uh, th- this was for a uh, Sony event where they took a bunch of people out to uh, shoot photos with their new uh, Alpha Next cameras. Um, so these are the mirrorless cameras. They had a translucent lens camera and a, a, a Next camera. Explain um, to what, what's a translucent so lens camera. So in camera technology, uh, you have point and shoots, which have small CCD sensors, some CMOS sensors, and then you go up to DSLRs, which have a uh, optical viewfinder because there is a mirror that it splits between Boom. that switch that flips up between the camera lens. It's between the camera lens and the sensor and the mirror reflects light. So you can actually see exactly 
through the center of the lens, not like looking through an optical viewfinder or an old point and shoot where you actually only see like a corner. It's not exact. It doesn't work well for macro shots. So, so, so like, yeah. So in a point and shoot, you're, 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 you're well, you're, most modern point and shoots don't even have, right. uh, uh, optical viewfinders, but the old, in the old days, and you're talking like old, like, you know, disposable cameras, when you look through the hole, you're seeing, uh, approximately what the camera lens sees. Um, but as you get closer to your subject, that it's, it's, yeah. they, they, well, because skew. the lens is three, two inches up and to the left or yes. down of the, yeah. So DSLRs have a mirror that flips up. Um, and there are, there's a category of cameras called mirrorless cameras that don't have the mirror. And so you go straight from the lens to the sensor, but you don't have an optical viewfinder. You can have an electronic viewfinder. Some cameras do have an optical viewfinder, but they're, it's not mirror based. So you get, again, get the offset, um, like the uh, Fuji X Pro one. Um, but Sony also has technology they call translucent lens. And so it's, it's not a mirror. It's a translucent lens that lets you have an op, quote unquote optical viewfinder. Um, it's, but it doesn't flip up and, um, because so this is the thing that it. dangles out the top of the camera, right? No, it's 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 in in right it's between in the, the lens and the sensor. Oh, okay. Um, and the advantage of having a translucent lens, which I think it's a technology that Sony patents, is that uh, without the mirror flipping, uh, you get faster uh, autofocus. Oh, okay. Um, Do you lose image quality because there's a translucent thing in the you, middle? The image quality it's a little dimmer, is up right? For debate. Hmm. Hmm. There's conversations on DP yes, review and exactly. scary hardcore film nerd. Uh, uh, so nerd. what they announced last night and what I want to see last week uh, was one a translucent lens camera. I think it's the A37. It's an entry level one. This is their competition. They're they're uh, uh, offering to compete with the T2i T3i from Canon. And also uh, what I was more excited for was the NEX F3, which is replacing the NEX C3, uh, $600 mirrorless lens camera with an APS-C size sensor. Entire write-up, video, everything's on the site. Um, I think uh, more interesting, though, is uh, there are trends for sales for the mirrorless category. Now, Samsung at CES has already said that they are not doing point-and-shoots anymore. They're only doing mirrorless. That's their entry-level camera. Um, and you, of course, have mirrorless cameras from Panasonic Olympus, which are uh, the Micro Four Thirds format sensor size. Yeah. And Sony is only doing APS-C size sensors for mirrorless cameras. They do have a ton of point-and-shoot still because they still make a lot of money from those cyber shots. Nikon makes a ton of money from their Aston Kutcher cameras, their Coolpix cameras. The Cooch camera? Yep. But the, those sales are have been dropping about 20% annually uh, because of smartphones. Yeah. Why not? Why, why do you need a point-and-shoot? Well, you the point-and-shoot, the technologies that they're putting into point-and-shoots are uh, some video, long zoom, so you get like 20x optical zooms. Yeah, but, but, but the, and again, the, if you look at the sales figures, which they haven't actually publicly disclosed, the, those cameras are only sold during things like Black Friday. Yeah, they're Christmas, Christmas, they're Christmas gifts. gifts. You give them they're to graduates. Throw away Christmas gifts. The thing, the thing to me is that there's no amount of optical zoom that's going to make me give up the ability to mash a button and send a picture to Instagram. Sure. I don't think, yeah. Like yeah. the fact that you have to plug until, until you can just post those from wherever you are. I, I I'm not interested. I'm done with point and shoots, but so, I think I'm going to buy one of these mirrorless. I, I, I think like, this is, they, seems like this a is, good this, buy this year. I think Sony's anticipating that, uh, 9 million of these cameras will be sold, which is a fair amount, uh, across the United States. And I can only see that going up. Uh, more interesting, though, is that now that we're kind of moving away, at least in the enthusiast market, away from megapixels, uh, like, for example, uh, well, Nikon's DSLR uh, D800 is 35 megapixels. Canon's more expensive 
5D Mark III is less. I think 16 megapixels or something. But, but I mean, the thing about the the thing about megapixels is that when you're talking about that resolution, unless you have a really specific need for that kind of resolution, it's just a liability. I mean, it's we, just we more shit for you yeah, to have to store. Yes, and we know that megapixels don't mean much. Uh, the the conversation is going to move over to sensor size, and when you go to a Best Buy, when you go to uh, a web store, you're going to see these these cameras labeled by the sensor size. Do you think the sensor size is more relevant as a as a as a idiot proof metric than the megapixels are? I think it is a good compromise between a, an idiot proof metric and also something that is relevant. I don't think it is the end all be all because a the, shitty sensor that's huge still is going to be bad pictures, yep. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So what else did you what 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 what's and then the I got on a boat and then I got on a duck boat and went around the bay. You risked death and, to get this story, and it was a a car that went to the pier, and then some navy captain had to take over and drive the boat. So I, I can one up that because next week Samsung for their mirrorless cameras is sending journalists up in Toronto on a hot Samsung air balloon. has mirrorless cameras. You go. <laughs> So, the, wow. yep. so that that is the invite that I got yesterday. I've been doing this for a fairly long time, and generally, when you get an invite to an event and it's on a boat, that is a really bad sign. Because <laughs> like that, what they're saying when they put you on a boat is, "Hey, we want to make sure you can't leave once we tell you what you're here to see." Uh, but Norm, you were excited about this. This seems like, for a, the despite camp, the yes. fact that they put you on a death boat, yep, uh, it seems like it's a kind of cool thing. Do we adequately explain what the duck boats are? Yeah, no, I we have okay. those in Toronto. I don't know why they're amphibious. Why they call them ducks though? Because you'd think if they were ducks, they'd ducks be can flying walk boats. on land and yeah, but kind of waddle in water. There's more amphibious. This, this duck boat waddles should, a lot in water. Yeah, they don't go very fast. No, they yeah. do not. Um, which which camera? If, I mean, we haven't obviously tested them for. I mean, you spent some time with them, but we haven't tested them for real. Um, what, what's your, like, I'm, if I'm buying a camera, the $600 one is the way to go. $600 NEX F3 is F, the way to go. F3. And that's the follow up to the C3 that you have. Mm-hmm. What happened to the D and E? There are no D and E. There's the C3, Failures. 5N, and 7. The mm. joke is that someone at Sony really likes BMWs. <laughs> that is a pretty funny joke. Ha ha ha. Um, let's see what else we've been testing. Uh, I, well, we went to Adam's workshop this weekend. Want to talk about that now? Yeah, let's, you want to save it for fake outtakes? I want to save it. Okay, big finish. Let's segue into, because I've also been testing a camera as well. Oh, you've been testing a camera? Well, I, I just picked it up yesterday, so I've kind of slowly been... It, it's the uh, it's the Fuji X-Pro1 that I tried oh, back Oh, that's that at, crazy expensive one. Yeah, that's the crazy expensive one that I tried back at E3. Um, CES. CES. What? E3 is the Canadian CES. Uh, um, yeah, so it's the Fuji X Pro One. Um, it's it's nice. Um, I can't even remember half of the specs on it offhand. I just doesn't matter. I, I, Have you looked at the it, pictures right? on your computer yet? Or not? no, no, I Who haven't. Are I, you? I, I can't remember the specs offhand. I I am Norm. I am not you. He's tired. You've been flapping. <laughs> right. His no, arms this, are tired. This is the yeah. They they are tired. Uh, this is the uh, this is the cool one that has sort of like the electronic uh, viewfinder on it that you know overlays the information that you know you're shooting so so it is a hud yeah it's basically a hud yeah it's it's you know aperture information and and shutter information and does the fancy level and it's 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 quite nice it overlays the evf image on the optical yes so so to be clear this one looks like a rangefinder it looks like a leica has a very solid construction has that kind of old fake leather plastic texture i love that from the no no it doesn't it's just it's just straight uh, this one's just straight straight plastic metal metal, yeah but has like the ridges that make it look like it's knobbly broken broken leather Mm. 
It looks like, like an old Nikon camera or an old Leica, is what yeah. you're saying. So yeah, and and with and has lots of physical knobs and switches, and none of the digital stuff. So you have physical yep. uh, EVF uh, or exposure compensation, physical uh, shutter speed. Yep. Um, oh, but like it is that. a mirrorless camera, so yes. it, it is ABS-C. And last year you reviewed for us their uh, not the X Pro one, but their first mirrorless camera, which was the X100, which was not interchangeable lens. No. And, and it also one, didn't have an electric viewfinder, did it? It it did, but it was an earlier sort of version of it. It was not as good. Okay. So this one has uh, has a, a interchangeable lens, mm-hmm. so you can put all the Fuji lenses on it. And Zeiss makes, I think, it's a like lens four. Or yeah. So, yeah. Um, it's ridiculously ridiculously expensive. <laughs> How expensive is ridiculous? <sighs> Fifteen to eighteen hundred dollars, yeah. I think, for the body. Holy and, shit! Yeah, just for the body. Yeah. Wow. So you buy no, this because no, it no. looks it, cool? It, it, well, it it I mean, you know, to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you buy this because it looks cool, and you like Leica. But well, the cool thing is, not only does it have that optical hole through mm-hmm. it, but you have the projected electronic view yeah. over that. Yeah, it's it's, it's it's a mixture of both. It's it's a, it, they call it their hybrid viewfinder because it's an optical viewfinder that also has overlaid elements. Do I you was, have this with you? Yeah, yeah. I want to look I'm, at it. There's no, there's totally no power. It's power. No, it, oh. it should be charged by now. Oh, you, char- you charge it? Yeah, it's, it's it's thinking ahead, man. Thinking ahead. Uh, yeah, so I was telling Norm, actually, the, the sort of interesting case for that is uh, uh, you, you can sort of do like fake double exposure with it. Um, so the way you could with like old film cameras by shooting two exposures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just don't, right. don't fast forward. Yeah, exactly. Don't so you can wind. do the same thing. And it was kind of cool because I was playing around with it on the flight here and it uses the, that sort of hybrid viewfinder to overlay the first image that so you can took. make an onion skin. Basically. Yeah. But, but like it does, it does it very, very faintly. It's, it's very, very neat. I, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, and you can also switch that. So it's, it's not even just a hybrid viewfinder. You can also switch it to, um, to like full, full LCD display whatever the hell you'd call that through the optical uh, yeah through the optical as well so then you can you know go back and actually review your images really quickly through the through the viewfinder if you want which it. is good um, which for is, um it turns into a dedicated ebf which is good yeah, for when outdoors because you can't see uh the lcd screen exactly i i mean the quality is not amazing on it um by by any stretch i mean the the quality of the back panel lcd uh is really really nice i mean it, it's it's sharp it's, well, it's for eighteen hundred dollars it should be fucking amazing yeah i i know i know well but, uh, it, it, it's nice though, because I mean, compared to the X100, which was sort of their entry level model that I tried last year, at a thousand dollars, as I recall, yeah, something like that, maybe twelve. Um, it was well in Canada, it was twelve. Okay, uh, only twelve hundred dollars, <laughs> huh? Only twelve. Yeah, what a bargain. Yeah, you, you know who really liked I that? I get was, a thirty D. Uh, yeah, Matt, uh, uh, Mark Prince. Yeah, from Coffee, Coffee Geek. Co- Coffee Geek loves it. Yeah, but um, he he likes. He's he's the target market. Yeah, that that's it, right? This is this is a niche thing, right? He's this is like why I like being in the position I'm in, where I can test all this shit out. Say it's really fucking cool, but I would never buy it. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, yeah. Compared to you know the X100, which also had sort of stand like, by you your know, words, Braga. Buy what? things you like. Well, yeah. I mean, chant it up. It. <laughs> if you like it, buy it. Yeah, but I mean, I'm waiting for the 7D Mark II. We were talking. Okay, about yes, we this. were. Okay. All right. Uh, compared to the X100, which also had sort of physical buttons and knobs on it, it was hampered by this really, really, like, totally fucking terrible uh, menu interface. Like, you couldn't change things like aperture really easily without going into the sort of menus. Oh, deep menus. And, yeah, it was yeah. just, it was it was a very poor sort of, you know, hybrid design. I think they might have fixed it with firmware updates. Anyways, point is, X-Pro1 is just, like, awesome. It, it You can change pretty much everything you expect to change on a, 
you so, know, on a DSLR using physical buttons. So at this point, you're paying for a really nice, but overpriced, overpriced, but but really nice camera instead of an overpriced but kind of janky camera. Yeah, I, I mean, Fuji claims they they did all this weird stuff with the X100 where they said, you know, the reason it's a fixed lens design is we basically mated the lens and the sensor for life so that they work really well. Yeah, yeah, other. yeah. And and Making marketing excuses, basically, yeah. And they claim they've done the same sort of thing here, which I mean, I I leave it to DP review to you know verify that sort of shit, but. Cool. Yeah, it's cool. I like it. It's extravagant. It's niche. Uh, Norm and I tested out the Espro Pot, which mm-hmm. we saw at SCAA in Portland a few weeks ago. Uh, if you don't remember, the Espro is a dual filter French press, basically. To, to, it's a very fine mesh filter. Uh, there's two filters, so you end up with less sediment in your coffee than you get with a traditional No chewing press. the grounds hey. at the bottom of your I, cup. I like the grounds. I was going to say, what do you like I think a little bit of the grounds is, is good. Mm. Um, it's kind of like a, a topper. It's a to get into the bottom, a reward to getting to the bottom of the cup. <laughs> uh, the nice thing about the Espro is that because it's a metal filter, just like any other French press, you get the oil and the kind of the the mouth feel that you get from a from a normal press, uh, but without uh, you know without any of the gr- as much of the grit as you get. And from what's a, special about the new one isn't just the filters, but also the capacity. Oh, it's of, much bigger. Yeah, it's about thirty ounces, which means you can get about four cups of coffee. Four four real cups of coffee, not four eight ounce cups well i guess it is four it eight is ounce cups a little of coffee, less than four eight yeah. ounce that's it's, pretty big it's a it's a mighty press mm-hmm. um i quite like it it's a little bit expensive is the bad news it's a hundred bucks which wow. is pretty high for a french press uh although in that side when you're, when, when you're talking about an insulated press in that size the starting point is 50 to 75 dollars so it's not that expensive it's very expensive compared to a glass 30 ounce press though which is like 20 bucks generally so uh, I think it's really good. You can get it. They kickstarted that. So uh, the Espro guys did uh, their initial product, which we saw last year at SCAA, which is an eight ounce, uh, eight ounce uh, finished uh, uh, press that used the same double filter technology or similar double double filter technology. Um, and I think that's fantastic. But a single serving press is uh, very much a niche product. So this is much more mainstream for them, and I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's pretty cool. I want AeroPress that can make 30 ounces of coffee. You know, I, I, we, were you there when I talked to the guy who invented the AeroPress at SCA no, this year? scary. I finally got to meet him. He's a, he's an awesome dude. So he's also the guy who invented the AeroBee. And um, we should talk to him because I bet he has interesting stories about making cool shit out of plastic. Uh, but but uh, he he, uh, he said that they've looked at doing a larger AeroPress. But the, the challenge with the larger AeroPress is that the bigger – it's the same problem that the Espro guys had actually – when you when you increase the size that the plunger has to be, you increase the force it's required to push. So you you could end up with a situation where somebody's having to like stand on the press with both hands and also and with their feet off the ground. Wider, a bigger circumference means more room for like problems with the actual plunger. Yeah, exactly. Like over time, that will wear and. You won't get a good well, plunge. and and the, when the circumference of the plunger is bigger, then you have more friction to overcome with the rubber on the on the plastic on the polycarb. Yeah. So it's um, I I think they're definitely looking at doing it, but I don't know what the what the process is. It would be lovely from a for somebody who likes to do an inverted aeropress like me, because it's much harder to do that. Like you get basically one cup out of an inverted aeropress right nine now, nine ounces. Yeah. What uh, what do those retail for these days? Like aeropress? Yeah, twenty five bucks. Twenty five bucks. Okay. Yeah. It's it's a it is if you want to make good coffee it is the most forgiving easiest way to make good coffee uh, I think you can buy if you want it single servings if you mm-hmm. want bigger bigger p- cups the French press is probably the way to go I, I was gonna say because I mean as someone right now who has a French press I I've been thinking about 
maybe getting an AeroPress eventually, but I just don't know whether you don't that have an would... AeroPress? I no, I just have a French press. I mean, it's a it's a pretty good French press, but um, I don't know. What I, would AeroPress? Would that be better? The, 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 it's all about serving size. So right. yeah. AeroPress, you can make one cup of coffee that's really amazing, or a couple of cups that are okay. Uh, with the French press, you can make you know three, four, or five cups of coffee depending on how big your press is. Right. Um, I think that the AeroPress makes, like I said, for I people, think- if you don't want to buy an expensive grinder and you don't want to buy an expensive uh, uh, pour over kettle, Aero, AeroPress is the and also it's more way. satisfying cleanup. It is a very easy cleanup too. Easy, easier pop. than a French press, really? Yeah, because you just push push the crap out the bottom. Oh, right. You take the cap off the bottom and plunge it yeah. right into the into the compost. compost yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, let's see. I, I've also been working on the, uh, I got the HTC one X in the other day. They, they were kind enough to send one to it's on us. the table right now. It is on the table. It's very white. Um, I quite like it. The screen is glorious. It's also very light, which I'm, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm very, very thin, very light curved. Back. Is the glass curved? I didn't, I could, the glass is not, curved, it doesn't seem like it is, but the back is curved. Um, it, it's kind of reminiscent of the Lumia 900, 800 design. Because uh, it has the polycarbonate shell with the with the screen hanging out of it. I think it looks like the Galaxy Nexus, but the white Camry version. What do you mean? Like it looks this this phone looks like a Camry. It does look like a Camry, kind of. Um, I I I quite like the phone. I hadn't really spent a whole lot of time with Ice Cream Sandwich yet. It's a it's very nice. Uh, a lot of my kind of general complaints with Android have been seem to have been solved. Like the general hitchiness is is uh, uh, almost non-existent on this phone. The keyboard is the sense keyboard is rough, uh, and I haven't decided yet whether that's you know me going to Canada and being using something I'm not familiar with, uh, or they've made poor decisions with that with that uh, camera. So um, I mean, with the keyboard, uh, the camera is pretty is, is is also a weird bulge in the back, which I'm not sure how I feel about it. Like it. That's a kind of an HTC mainstay is the the lens just protruding from Get, the back of the camera. Do, do you find it gets scratched? I, I was going to ask you about Real that. Fast shutter. Hmm? Real fast shutter. Yeah, the, the camera's fast. My uh, lens is definitely scratched, but I'm not sure. Does if, it show up? Yeah, I'm not sure. I've never noticed uh, in images that that's a problem. Um, but it also, my camera, it's eight megapixels, but it has really crap low light. So I just okay. don't take that many photographs with it to... To really scrutinize, and you're using um, a 4G, right? Or yeah. 3D, 4, 4, Evo 4G, yeah. Okay. Not not the weird, not the 3D, 3D one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I I think the the most notable thing about it is the screen is un uh, just amazing. Like the first thing everybody says when they see it is, "Oh my God, look at the screen." And uh, Norm pointed out, I think uh, that it's because the the pixel the screen is very close to the surface. Like there's not a ton of space between digitizer and and actual pixels. Which makes a which makes it look much more kind I of. I like real. this camera. Yeah, the camera's pretty good. I haven't tried it in low light yet, which is the which is the big test I think for the, that kind of thing. The density on the screen though seems like it's like. Do we know what that is in terms it's of pixels per 10, inch? Because it's twenty four or twelve. It's a seven twenty p screen. Seven twenty p screen. So, so it's uh and it's a four and a, I think it's a. I, I don't want to say how big the screen is because I don't remember and I, I don't want to fuck that up. I mean, it, it feels retina to use the stupid yeah. marketing terminology. I, I don't. We don't. It's a it's a resolution. It's a high density screen. Yeah, resolutionary is what we prefer here. Um, I, uh, I I don't like the big. I think the screen's too big. Like I I, I, uh, I like I love the battery life that comes with the big screen because it, the battery life on this phone is amazing. I I literally used it for probably three and a half hours the other day straight while I was, when I first took it out of the box and charged it all the way up. Um, 
it's it's the battery life is astounding is much better than the 4s uh and much better than most of the other including like the galaxy s2 which had which was a 3g phone and has pretty good battery life um this was very impressive uh, but I don't, I think the screen's too, like that biggest screen, I don't like that you can't use it with one hand. Like you, you I find myself almost always using it uh, by picking it up and using my right hand to control the screen rather than just gouging at it with my thumb. The battery so, thing is really interesting to me because my my number one reason to switch off of Android when my contract is up um, this summer, I mean, I'll probably wait a few months, but my number one reason is battery life because mm-hmm. my phone's battery sucks. I mean, it's not, it's not terrible, but if I turn on GPS, you know, and use it for a while to get around town or something, or if I'm just have the screen on a lot, you know, it's going to be in the yellow halfway through the day. Well, that, that era of Android phones had kind of bad battery life in general. I, Ab- I absolutely. Like. But I, I still sort of assumed that with all the Android phones going, you know, quad core and bigger screens and everything that if I wanted really good all day battery life, I was probably going to have to go with an iPhone. I don't think the 4S um, really gives you really good all day battery life. I'm I'm hoping the next one will. That's a, but, okay. Fair enough. But now I'm, I'm wondering now if there's going to be a good Android alternative because I would not have assumed that at all a year ago. Well, so this is a um, this is the dual core version. So the weird thing about the HTC One X is that there's two different CPUs in use in the phone. There's a Tigra three option for international customers that get three G, and this has a Snapdragon uh, dual core uh, for US for US, and it's AT and T LTE, I believe. It may be HSPA plus, but I think it's LTE. Um, so it's a uh, like like I I was really shocked at the battery life. Like that that of all the things that are noteworthy about this phone, the screen and the battery are the two things that kind of leapt out at me. I wonder um, if uh, I I wonder how much of that, if any, is is just Android 4.0, sort of like optimizations or changes or something, right? Because I, it's it's so damn light, and it's it's like I don't know how there's a battery in there. Well, this is the un- well, it's because you're used to a glass double glass iPhone, right? Uh, the double glass iPhone is among the heavier phones that's out. Yeah, but there. even like here, Lumia. Yeah, yeah, but the One X weighs about 0.6 Lumias. Yeah, I mean it's almost half. I yeah, think. it's a little. It's it's it's, it's a fair it's amount weird. less. That's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't really looked at that. I I can't remember what chipset's in the 900. Um, but yeah, so it's I will do more. We'll do a quick look of it. Uh, not too long, and uh, I don't know what else we we'll do beyond that. But uh, it's kind of late for a review at this point. But it's it's a it's worth looking at if you're on an AT and T Android. If you're an AT and T Android customer, I would say. Uh, from first impressions, uh, I want to skip the last thing on that list. You don't want to talk about the the, the, I think the wrist stupid. alarm. Uh, do you want to talk about the the wrist? Can you talk about the fuel band? Yeah, sure. Okay, I'm wearing the Nike fuel band. And, How do you like it, Norm? Um, I forgot to put it on uh, this morning until uh, about 10 a.m. Do you feel like you're keeping? Like, what's your burn rate right now? What was your fuel score yesterday? My fuel score yesterday, I actually had to uh, shake it around to reach my 100 fuel score. So um, you cheated at 11:55 because I realized I was at nine dots away or nine dots out of ten. Um, wow, I think this, this is, is much, a dark place you're going, Norm. Yeah, I, I literally took it off. I don't know if you're ready to have metrics on your life. <laughs> took it off. If you get six, if you meet your goal six days in a row, that's a streak. Does Lance Armstrong uh, tell you how awesome you are, like with the Nano? That's terrible. <laughs> I did kind of think it was a Livestrong bracelet. It does it okay. So compared to the Jawbone Up, which is the other, um, uh, the wrist thing that is no longer for sale. 
they stopped selling it? Yeah, they pulled it from the market oh, and gave everybody goodness. their money back. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that, this is actually much better than that. It's, it's a little heavier, a little thicker, but um, it actually connects to your device using Bluetooth as opposed to the headphone jack. Um, so wireless connectivity, real-time connectivity updates on with an app is great. It, the connection is actually USB on um, uh, in, in the bracelet, so you can plug it directly into... Your laptop. I like the way computer. the USB port is the facet for the yeah bra- exactly for the bracelet. The, yeah. it's but cool. they also they also have an adapter. It comes in the box, so if you don't want to plug that directly in, you can plug it with a USB cable to charge. I haven't charged it. I charge it full uh, the first night I use it, and I still haven't. I haven't charged it since. So I want to see how long the battery life is. And the best thing, of course, is that it's a watch. So if you press the button on top, wait what? If you press the button on top, you get a. a Time indicator plus uh, <laughs> that is so cool. I an see. array of I uh, lights see. telling you how far along in your daily progress. I know, right? Oh, that's it's rad. Like- <laughs> um, so th- it's an OLED screen built into the into the. Uh, I'm not sure, but I don't know if it's OLED, but it's hidden behind the plastic. This is really tiny. Does this yeah. fit on your wrist? I got the small one, and there are two uh, links that you can swap in. I'm using the bigger link. Can, can you really quickly summarize what this is? Because I, it's a pedometer. I to, oh, okay. Is that, that's all it, it just, is? All it is, does okay. is track your how many steps you walk a day. How much is it? Dude, uh, I have uh, dainty girl wrists. And, I mean, $150. Damn. Okay. It's, you know, it's an expensive pedometer. Uh, well, it's in the same – it's the same market as the Fitbit and stuff like that. The question I have and something you're going to test, Norm – is how is, accurate is this compared to like, yeah there's a lot of a lot of talk about the accuracy of wrist-based pedometers because you move your arm much more frequently than yes, say right. if you mount it on your hip or something like or that your, or you're bouncing up and down yeah or or and sh- they require different algorithms but we are in like i mean pedometers are old technology and it's all about the algorithms they use to calculate so we'll find out with maker fair do one. they tell you the distance you travel with that they as have well how many steps I don't know. They don't tell you. They, I did not they t- don't extrapolate out. I didn't tell them my height. So yes, they do tell you. This. Yeah, because the 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 basic algorithm, the thing that was the big revelation that allowed the Nike Plus to happen, uh, was that if you know your height or or your height and weight, height, then if, they can it's, calculate it's basically your height. Gait. Yeah, then they can try calculate how many step how how far you walk on each step. Which previously, when you did a pedometer, you kind of calibrated it by walking four steps and then measuring that distance. You you um, just wait because I'm gonna have my Pebble smartwatch soon. You, good luck. <laughs> I will I'm take gonna make the cla- uh, uh, right dumb now, products. Is this an egg? This is. Uh, I would rather buy this than a Pebble smartwatch. You say that now, but Norm uses an iPhone. <laughs> if you buy, if you use an iPhone and you bought a Pebble smartwatch, you, you should prepare for major disappointment. Uh, you know what? I, I I have I have many phones. Okay. Did you read that Wired story where they profiled the two guys who made the Pebble smartwatch? One of them is a Canadian, eh? Really? He's from um, Vancouver. So they, the, the profile came out they like make early, earlier this in week. Canada too. And they had, I guess, some hands-on time with the Pebble smartwatch. Which, Woo. Great. Uh, the photo of the Pebble smartwatch actually looks much bigger than the photo. <laughs> they, they must have used like, big hands in the Kickstarter photo because mm-hmm. on the hand that they showed for the, the Wired story, the Pebble smartwatch looks really big. Um, also, I love the last photo in, that, photo in that story, which the caption was uh, like the founder, I forget his name, like carefully monitors the Kickstarter project. And it's looking at the millions he's made already in sales. <laughs> I hope he was monitoring them on his Pebble watch. Nice. Monitoring, like, he had two LCD screens at his desk, two monitors, and one was dedicated to the Kickstarter page, watching, watching those dollars come in. And, and you know what the New York Times says about multiple monitors, right? What is, is it New bad? York, really? Oh, no, no. They're a thing. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they might increase your productivity and and and, and the New York Times for multitasker. How did I miss this story? That this yeah, it was a New York Times last trend year. piece from like last year. month. No, no, no. That was, it was, no, it was, it was like April or March. Yeah. 
Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> gentlemen, would you, would you want to do some questions? I haven't screened them today because we were running late. Do it live. Email? Mystery well, question. We do the other one. Emails. Yeah, we don't do emails. We do emails. No, 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 no. Questions. Boom. Hey, Tested Crew. This is Matt from Danbury, Connecticut. That's me. A little bit of hometown trivia for you. Danbury was one of the largest hat manufacturers in the world back when we were still an industrialized economy. Anyway, down to the question. I remember reading Will's article a few weeks ago about trying to build a convertible 4-point to 8-point USB arcade joystick. I was wondering if you had any success with that since writing the article. And also, what is the best way to get the true arcade experience in our homes now that arcades are all but totally dead? And a would you rather, would you guys rather live the rest of your life without a sense of taste or without the sense of touch? Thanks, and always be testing. I feel like we've had that would you rather before. I would would go with taste, because I think your smell is going to pick up a lot of the... Really, you'd rather never feel the the gentle caress of a woman again this, than taste salt or sweet. Well, no, no, hold on a second. So you lose the sense of touch everywhere, touch, like not touch. like ha- the sense of touch, touch. is or, your entire well, skin, there, dude. There's 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 a difference between no, being able to feel. Nope, no, not nope, at all. Nope, 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 nope. Put it this way: the first thing that jumps to mind for me is never uh-huh. being able to taste brunch again. Really? What is, You're the I, worst I, hey, I know. Hey, hey, and I hang out with Chan a lot. What is the taste of brunch? You Female bacon? Canadian. Waffles? Norm's, oh my god. You pick brunch over like steak or, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or lobster. Pick a specific food. Caviar. What is the broth? taste of brunch? I eat Can you open a restaurant called <laughs> The Taste of Brunch? Oh man. Come. Enjoy. The Taste in of Canada, Brunch. In Canada, brunch is a, is a meal that is made of a, bacon. It's eggs wrapped in Canadian bacon. Mm. I oh, sounds really good. am a sucker for hollandaise sauce. Really good hollandaise sauce. So what you're saying is you like eggs Benedict and eggs Florentine. Yeah, and bacon. Okay. So you can why don't you say the miss you know the, the taste of bacon, not the taste of brunch. <laughs> well, but the thing is, if you lose your sense of taste, all you lose is bitter, sweet, uh, sour, umami, and uh, 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 salty. No, not not Spicy? hot. Spicy is a nerve taste. thing. It's not. It's not taste. Oh, see that I would lose taste. There you go. Yeah, taste is a no brainer. I still got hot foods because you can still mm. taste. You still get the flavors of things from smells, but you get no well, smell uh, and taste are, are no, 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 no. He didn't say smell. He said no, taste. This is a poor question. Then I would answer his real question. Uh, yeah. So I have not continued because I, I was despondent. I did talk to a bunch of people, and it seems like the way to do uh, what I want to do. Uh, which was basically what I want to do is convert an Xbox uh, or PS3 fight stick into something that will easily switch between four and eight way uh, performance so that you can you know play games like you know Pac-Man and Frogger and stuff like that that, that really work better with four way sticks uh, uh, the, you know instead of uh, Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat and stuff like that. Uh, the problem was that there's not enough clearance in uh, fight stick ca- cabinets or the iCade or pretty much anything for the convertible, the easily convertible uh, MagStick Plus, which is which you convert by I can't, I can't remember if it's lifting up or pushing down. I think it's lifting you lift up and twist ninety degrees, and it converts from four way action to eight way action. Uh, the thing that I didn't realize is that the stick in that in that uh, Marvel versus Capcom. Cop, cop, ah, the Mad Cat's arcade stick, the Marvel vs. Capcom 2 one, has actually a restrictor plate that you can rotate 
but you have to take the whole basically you have to take the whole stick apart in order to be able to rotate it. So, so you need to find some way to gain access to that without taking it apart. Yeah. So there's a couple of ways to do it, right? One is that you uh, modify the bottom of the cabinet so that there's a hole in there that you can just jam your hand up into. Seems a little um, inelegant. Just jam your hands just in holes. Just put your hand in sure. holes all the time. I mean, if you had a, if you didn't have a sense of touch, you uh, like Braga over here, that wouldn't be a problem. You just jam it up in there and you come back with no fingers. It's cool. You didn't feel that. No, no touch until you bleed out. Yeah, until you. Well, you get good at making tourniquets with with dental floss and stuff. I would think. But if I want, I yeah, don't, yeah, we don't. We don't want no more gentle there. caresses of a woman, Braga. Just no. Brunch. I, I was gonna say if I wanted to just taste brunch. that experience, you of, could jam your tongue up in the hole. Exactly. Brilliant exactly. idea. <laughs> this is this is Canadian school systems hard at work up there. Um, the other way to do it is to uh, change the top of the panel so that you put the whole thing on hinges and it's kind of easy to open. There's a little latches. Uh, the other thing people have done that look pretty easy, especially if you have access to a laser cutter, is um, is just cut a custom – made a custom cabinet for the – so basically you take the guts out of the Mad Cat's uh, uh, box and build a custom cabinet for the stick. Uh, and then you can put either either – Put the stick that you want in, or make the mechanism easy to access from from outside. You you should make a really nice like old timey wood case for like it. a steampunk joystick. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great idea. Have little little cogs. You still have tons of wood left from that tree, don't you? No, no, that's not the way it works. <laughs> I'm gonna make the dog bite you, Braga. Uh, I, we've got one more question. I have not listened to this one either, so let's just play it and see what happens. Hello, Will, Norm, Gary, Chloe, possibly Sir Shoemaker, and others. I am Lachlan of Canberra, Australia, also known as the Maddened Man. Bit of hometown trivia. Canberra is home to Mount Stromlo, the location of the Mount Stromlo Observatory, where the Canberra bushfires of 2003 destroyed five historically significant telescopes dating back to 1911. This event left the observatory with only one telescope. My question will be framed more as a potential topic for discussion. What do you all think about companies branching into multiple fields? Do we run the risk of allowing one company too much control over our lives? What would you think about a society wherein you just subscribe to one company, for example, Google, and they provided everything for you? Housing, communications, entertainment, socialising, nourishment, and even a career. And finally, a bonus would you rather. Would you rather be frustratedly ignorant but able to eloquently present an argument, or a genius with a vocabulary of the Incredible Hulk? Thank you much, Lee. Love the show. Always be testing. I think we're already the first one. Gee, the 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 idiots with the good vocabulary. Yep. <laughs> they're, they're, that, is, that is not a would you rather. Chloe that agrees. Is a, that was a very loaded. Yeah. Qu- would you that rather? Was a, that was hey, a hey. You, you guys, you guys are, are you guys are hmm. dumbasses. Uh, I I I would take the Hulk with the bad vocabulary. Of course you would. Yeah. It's the, yeah. I, I don't want to be the idiot. Damn, Norm, Norm, I don't, I don't like where this is going, man. Uh, I think that the demolition man, uh, the premise that you basically have given, you know, where everything's Taco Bell or Walmart, isn't it Walmart and Demolition Man? You guys have probably never even heard of Demolition Man, have you? Oh, I've seen Demolition Guilty. Man. This is why we need Gary here. You've never seen Demolition Man? No. Oh, jeez. I, I think it is Taco Bell. Uh, it's Taco Bell and something. That, I can't remember the other well. one is. Uh, yeah, I, I think that th- that's the danger of all the cloud services and things like that. I think my wife just came into the kitchen. Uh, I, uh, I don't, I don't, if, if Google changed its name to Waylon, 
Oh yeah, and, Microsoft, <laughs> and, and and Apple changed its name to Utani, and and then they merged. Yeah, or one bought out the what other. What could possibly go wrong? Totally okay with that. Uh, really? As long as our science fiction fantasies are fulfilled, why okay. not? Okay, sounds good. Um, I I mean that is obviously the concern. Anytime you have one company that owns the vast majority of a market, like Apple owns with the tablet market, uh, it's it's not very good for consumers, or it has the potential to be really bad for consumers. I guess is the right way to say that. So competition keeps people honest. Yeah, well, and competition drives the whole industry forward. If you look at what happened with like the graphics card market and the PCs in the in the late '90s and early 2000s, when there were two or three companies just beating the shit out of each other over and over again. Uh, we saw a massive, massive advancement, and and that slowed down dramatically as uh, different parties have bailed out. So, uh, and that'll do it for questions this week. If you have a question, uh, the email address is podcasttested.com. dot uh, We got two good questions this week. I don't know how that happened uh, when I didn't screen them at all. I apologize for that. I usually do that and forgot this week. Uh, if you have questions, send it to podcasttested.com. dot com. Listen to it. Make sure it sounds good. Uh, keep it under forty five seconds. And we like hometown trivia and would you rather? So if you want to send them in. Uh, and that, gentlemen, special guests, Norman, Chloe Bananas, Gina, Pacifica, will do it for us this week. Uh, we are back every Thursday. Thank you, Matt, Wes, uh, for coming down. Our pleasure. Is there anything you guys would like to plug? Speaking for <laughs> Tested.com. It's awesome. Thanks. Would you say that it's better or worse than the Boston Globe? You know, and the Sasquatch Music Festival website. I'm yeah. going to say we are far more responsive than the Boston Globe. Thanks, Wes. I think that's a great answer. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Maybe not as reactive, though. Definitely not as reactive. Definitely not as reactive. Uh, Matt Braga, thanks for coming down from from Canada just for our podcast. Have fun at Maker Fair this weekend. Woo! I'm excited. We'll. Uh, I'm sure we'll see you around there. We'll be around yeah. all. Uh, you have weekend. a choice between cover. You know, you could just bail out on Maker Fair and run Beta Breakers. Oh, how about that? You could cover Beta Breakers yeah. and tell the Canadians it's Maker Fair. That's even better. <laughs> well, well, Do you know what Beta Breakers is? I, it was explained to me on the way here, and I'm trying to figure out how I can portray a drunken costumed run as a mad science expo. But I mean, you know. You've not seen the costumes. Just, okay. And, and and since they outlawed drinking, on, is, is drinking still against the rules? I think it's against the rules. On It wow. used to be that people the fact would... that you had to outlaw drinking on a, a race. On a 5K. On a 5K race <laughs> is very San Francisco. I, I'm just imagining the, sort of that scene in marathons where people are running by for the cups of water, but it's just a cup of like gin and tonic or no, something. No, no, it's not even that. It's that, it's that like you'll see... You'll see a team of people and they'll have like a cart that has a got cooler full of margarita or something in it, right? Or or just dragging a keg behind them. Um and also there are a lot of naked dudes. Like a, a kind of surprising number of naked dudes. Like it's a mm-hmm. it's a it's a Johnson fest down there usually. But I think that you could probably make it work cuz there's going to be some dudes wearing like steampunk costumes and goggles and tutus and stuff. So like I think I think that this is a real if you wanted to kind of gonzo this this story up that's the way to do it. Maker Fair. Data Breakers 2012. Uh we'll be at Maker Fair all weekend. If you're going to be there and you see us say hi, we'll we'll be bopping around. I think I'm probably going to bust out the third person camera on Sunday rather than Saturday cuz we've got a lot of video to shoot on Saturday. Uh but yeah, if you see us feel free to walk up and say hello and and let us know what you think is cool and we'll maybe go shoot video of it. Uh, Norm, as always a pleasure. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow when we go shoot more videos. Until next time, stay tuned for fake outtakes. This outro today is brought to you by Drink Bourbon, who is a user on Tested and not an advocate for the bourbon industry.
there. I didn't see her. That's it. Welcome to your new normal, Jamie. I'm gonna be like the puppet from Saw, shitting into my iPhone and making Jamie Lee Curtis I'm watch turning it. Turning your mic down. This is terrible. I don't remember that. I don't one. remember that one either. I was trying to think of what is the context when did of that. Talk about some type of horror I, movie. I think we were talking about. I can't remember why we were talking about Jamie Lee Curtis and Saw. It must have been yogurt, right? Yeah, I mean, yogurt. Had yeah. To be oh, right. Somewhere. It was that too. conversation. That's yeah. it. Um, it was. What? It was. It, That's it was why it involved macro, shit too. Macrobiotic, yeah. macrobiotic yogurt or something. I don't know. Um, uh, so we're, we're. Hey, we're low. We haven't said enough stupid stuff lately because we're real low on fake outtake songs. So if you or, or not fake outtake songs, just outtake songs. If you want to do the outro song, uh, Google raw outro song file, and it, the the right thread pops up. Uh, Lane from the forums was kind enough to post to the original uh, there that or, or start a thread. We posted the original there. It's all linked in the thread, and you can figure, learn how to do your own. Gina, those are massive strawberries. Oh my goodness, is that a, massive? What? Hey, don't talk about my wife's strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> what the what the hell is this? What the what? Norm is uncomfortable again. Yes. Um. So let's talk about Adam's workshop. Which okay, I want to go ahead and say, please when, don't steal my analogy. Please don't steal my analogy. Please don't steal my analogy. What is your analogy? Well, can I use it first? Go ahead. When we went to Adam's workshop, yeah. Which I will not use very descriptive words to describe the outside of it because I don't want anyone to know where it is. That's probably it is, good. It is a building in San Francisco. Yeah, he okay. called. Okay, so he called it a man cave. He has called it a man cave. And 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 and, and his the Sandra, who's the wonderful woman who helps us schedule time. Because first off, I want to say, like, dudes, like people who think you are busy. If you're listening to a two and a half hour podcast, you are not busy. Uh, I love you. But I saw Adam's schedule, and it is terrifying. Like, he'll have a meeting at 7 o'clock in the morning and a meeting at 11 o'clock, and then has to fly somewhere, and there's more talking to people. And that's, like, every day. Like, I can do that once or twice a month, and then I'll have to go take a nap. Um, so, yeah, we, we got to spend time with Adam this Yeah, weekend. so we went to his man cave. Again, man cave is something that Adam calls his workshop. And I thought, oh, man, that's really a lame thing to call something. I love Adam, but no, man cave is a, is, a lame, is a lame term. But it is entirely accurate. Like it, it is it's, a place where he houses, he builds stuff, and he houses a lot of his things that he doesn't want to keep at home. Yes, um, and he has like he, he has, has like, he's like a full metal that shop, incriminating metal shop and wood shop, and like yeah. all the stuff that he needs to build but stuff. The thing is, it's in the city, well Ow. hidden. We went in there, we shot a bunch of videos, and when we left, it was like leaving Narnia. I, it's, it's, I, well, I just wanted to go back. It's just about 15 minutes in. I, I f- completely forgot that I was in the middle for, of San Francisco. You forget where you are. I was like, it's like we, it's like when you go on a cave tour and you're walking through the, you're walking through and like they have the funny lights and you see the room with all the weird stalactites and stalagmites and you're like, oh man, this is really amazing. And then you come out and you're in the middle of a field someplace and you forgot that you were in a field. Ultimately, it's the same thing. Yes. Uh, it is full of awesome stuff. Like the, the, I walked in and I was like, "Oh, that's an Akbar head." He's like, "Yeah, it came from the original mold for the Akbar heads." And I was like, "Really? You, you, you okay? That's that's pretty cool." He's like, "Yeah, I put it on once, but it's really, really uncomfortable because it's really tight." Mm-hmm. Whoever wore the Akbar head in the movie uh, had a small head. Had a small head, and probably that it's a trap 
may not have been a line in the script. It could have just been him reacting to having the latex head squeezed over him. Yeah, but to be fair, I'm, the, the head doesn't go all the way in, though, right? It just the, goes the head, like... No, that's the neck. It's Right, right. Yeah, yeah the yeah. neck hole is very, very small. Okay. I looked at it, and I don't think I could put it on. I think I would probably start screaming. I, I mean, I no joke, it looked terrifying. So we, uh, we've shot a, a, a bunch of video, and we will be going back. Um, but what we're doing is uh, Adam will be telling us the stories about the projects he's working on along with the collectibles he's collected over the years and what he has in his we, we have we have i think three or four more videos out of the first round uh and then we'll start doing some more uh real soon and probably doing a podcast for that up too I, I, I he wants to come down i don't know if i want to make him come to pacifica um, i don't think we should make him drive all the you can take pacifica. him to the best taco bell in the country we could take him to the nicest taco bell in the country <laughs> um but yeah, we'll uh, we'll get him on the podcast here before too much. So the longer. video we uploaded today was of the uh, Fifth Element Zorg Industries ZF One gun, Ooh. and it's his long the project he's been working on for the longest, uh, thirteen years, um, and he had a great story to tell about that. So definitely watch the video if you haven't yet already. Uh, it was it's one of those things where oh, I know that you play the game where I know where that's from. I know where that's from. Yeah, but everything and it's 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 there's a lot of stuff in there. Like it's th- we could do a video a week for a year, easy. Teaser fifth element gun is that just based off of like him just watching the movie and saying I want to create? You that, have or? you clearly have not watched the video. No, right? that's no, what no. I'm saying. Teaser. Thanks. I said teaser. Uh, yes, it is okay. a combination of uh, him. Well, he's, a prop, he's a prop guy. He's a prop okay. guy. He, he did come from special effects industry. Yeah. both him and Jamie. Uh, him taking screen grabs just as a fan mm-hmm. from the movie and uh, figuring out the you know using computer models and mocking everything up and then actually making it using uh his, his tools and then machining it and then starting over from scratch basically. the re- the reason i ask is because you pointed out that you know he had the akbar head from the original mode oh no so i was if thinking he, maybe he had, the actual, he had access to if he had the actual stuff for this i don't think it would have taken 13 no 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 so yeah. so one of the things that we talk about i don't maybe not in this video but maybe one of the ones that's coming soon is um like a lot of a lot of the hard part is figuring out points of reference and like going out and taking either pictures of the thing if you can find a place that you can get access to it or blowing up stills from a movie to the point that they're actually life size and then kind of looking at it and and figuring out what the actual scale is. Mm-hmm. Um, so like finding the right like because all everything once you figure out what the scale is, then everything kind of falls off of that. But even with something like the Zorg gun, what did you say they made seven of them or something for the movie? Yep. So there were seven different versions, depending on whether it was the flamethrower version or the gun version or the red button version or whatever. And the, they may not have all been exactly the same. So it, it's a kind of complex process. Uh, but, but he made it because he wanted, to make a, he wanted to make a Zorg gun. He thought it was pretty cool. Hmm. So I wonder if he's going to get the Gary Oldman weird like half plastic head thing <laughs> uh, for the, when, when he actually gets the – the movie uh but yeah basically you walk around in his workshop and everywhere you look it's it's cool shit as far as the eye can see um and he has like a, a couple of la- he has a, a a one really rad full-size lathe a desk mill um a, a full-size mill too uh some cool grinders the best storage stuff i've ever seen i think for for tools and parts um and then a whole bunch, whole bunch of other, like it's it's. Norm was the coolest thing you saw. I don't want to spoil it. Okay, Norm's saving himself. Um, it's just yeah. You walk in, you kind of, kind of like your eyes adjust for a moment, and then you're looking around like oh, oh wow, 
That's what that is. That's interesting. Okay. Um, so yeah, but, uh, what else do we want to talk about? Anything, anything cooking with you, Chan? Yeah, that's good. What are you looking forward to at Maker Faire? Um, I'm looking forward to having, uh, churros. Yeah. There's churros. And, and churros. it's like carnival food. Perfect. Um, so you can get a turkey leg. Ooh. You can get barbecue oysters. A lot of good food. And also a lot of cool people. They had barbecued oysters last year? Yeah, we had the barbecue oysters. Did we? Yeah. I don't even remember that. Anna was there last Anna was still there last year. Yeah, she Anna had the just, mac and cheese. Oh, that's right. No, no, I'm sorry. She no, had she the, had the turkey leg. No, 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 no. She had the uh grilled cheese in the um in the tomato uh soup. Oh, which I didn't know days. was a thing. Oh, you didn't know grilled cheese and tomato soup's a thing? Wait, I what did do you not mean? know until last year? Together or Together. Yeah, do you not know that? Yeah. Well, hold on a second. Like served like grilled cheese beside the tomato soup? And yeah, and then you dunk the grilled cheese into in the tomato soup. Oh, yeah, no, totally. There's a place in Toronto that serves amazing combination of the two they put pork in theirs though and the grilled cheese that, that's fine too i know um so uh will be a lot of cool stuff fire i i there will be fire i am looking there's a lot fire. of fire there's there'll be the uh, the life-size mousetrap is almost always there <laughs> uh it's kind of scary because they actually hoist a safe up and drop that uh i, I wonder if the thermite guys are going to be back this year they weren't there last oh. year um but i think that thermite now falls into the mandate of tested which means we need to learn how to make thermite, Norm. Okay. New policy. That's not going to put you on like a watch list or something, is it? I don't know. You know, I read an interesting thing this morning about pressure bombs and CO2 and liquid nitrogen bombs. Uh, Tell us more, Will. Well, so... In very explicit detail. So the idea of a pressure... Is she looking over there? Is she licking herself? No. Okay. she licking you? Yes. Okay, that's fine. Um, I'm talking about the dog. Just for the record, for audio <laughs> listeners, talking about the dog, uh, Chloe's wearing the cone of shame right now because she's having allergy uh, freak out. So she has to she she would lick herself and pull her nails out and stuff and do gross things. But the idea of a pressure bomb, which you should not do at home because they are really really dangerous and it is a good way to lose a hand and you will not have fun, uh, is that you put something that is going to expand uh, at a major at a massive amount. Inside something that is going to prevent that expansion from happening. Like, for example, a Coke 2-liter bottle. So if you put a couple of ounces of dry ice into a Coke 2-liter bottle and then just let the, the dry ice uh, 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 sublime, you know, evaporate, you go through the evaporation phase, uh, then the increase in volume, the attempted increase in volume of the, of the carbon dioxide that is the dry ice will increase the pressure inside the 2-liter bottle to such a point that it explodes pretty forcefully. If you do it with liquid nitrogen, because it it's a uh, much more it, it it wants to be much less dense, it explodes even bigger. Uh, and the reason this came up is because Wired, the science blog that does the the that basically looks at stuff and figures out the math and physics behind it, had looked at a video of a liquid nitrogen bomb that was sunk into a garbage can full of rubber ducks in water, and it, it, the video is pretty spectacular. It's worth watching. Uh, but it really highlights the reasons why you shouldn't do this at home uh, because it is really super dangerous. Like I know a person who blew the pool lining out, the liner of an in-ground pool out uh, with a dry ice bomb uh, when I was in high school, and that was uh, real bad. Also, it's a felony to make these kinds of bombs in California, I understand. So uh, don't get any ideas. Chad. I was getting really excited about that because I've blown up a bottle before with just like a tiny little firecracker. Yeah, I would love to see that on a scale of 
you know, a hundred or a thousand. Yeah. I yeah. still love the if you use if you have a mechanical pencil and you use that jab on top of a soda can, so you have a really small hole and then just slam the can on the ground. Uh, you can shoot like 30, 40 feet of soda. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I know what I'm doing this afternoon. Ruining a mechanical pencil. It does break the mechanical pencil. And I'm going to drink some soda from about 30 feet away for a long time. Anything else? This is a, we, you guys, you guys are like the attention span of youth in America and Canada today does not hold up to a two hour and 31 minute podcast. In my defense, I have been I, awake no. for many hours. You should be better at this by I then. have looked at my phone dramatically less than any other podcast I've guested on in the past. Well, that's true because I really yelled at you the last time I caught you doing it. Yeah, it's, so. it's nothing this time. Well, because I want to be. I appreciate that you're present. The, I know. I know. Paying attention to I'm the people here. in front of you. I'm building uh, the Noise Hero, which I have in this box right now. The What's part the four. Noise Hero, Norm? Uh, the Noise Hero is a noisemaker, circuit bent noisemaker mm. um, that I wrote about. And this kit came from Etsy all the way from the UK. Uh, so we'll be building that and testing it uh, in the future. Just came today. Very cool. Very cool. You're looking at me, Will? Yes. The only other subject I had much to say on uh, actually was from that SNES article, and we talked so much about the technology behind it. I didn't get into it, but I read this really long um, study that this guy did about four years ago on the optimal uh, length of copyright and according to all the equations he put into it uh, which came out of uh, the the lowering costs of producing things thanks to the internet and uh, digital technology digital technology and, and just you know production technology in general uh, the welfare that is gained by society from uh, from these things that are produced and from copyright uh, being shorter yeah, uh, and plugged all these into a super complex equation and came out with 15 years. That seems like the kind of bullshit that they do to generate BCS rankings though, too. It's, it, I mean, like you can make those equations say whatever you want if it's a complex enough equation. Sure. It's like uh, clout. That's, that's, that's true. <laughs> um, but the, there are parts uh, in the, in the essay and the study of, breaking down the variables and saying, okay, this is what we assumed for this variable. And if we assumed the minimum uh, versus the maximum, then this would be the number that came out. And basically the 99 percentile uh, maximum length of copyright, um, the maximum optimal length. Just to be clear, copyright now expires 70 years after the death of the author for books and different stuff for different types of content. In the U S yeah. In the U S um, and the 99th percentile was 47 years. Wow. They think is the like longest it should be. Thanks, Walt Disney. So, so I thought that was interesting. It's depressing that it's something that's probably never going to change or it's going to take a, a long time. Um, Torches to, and pitchforks. To lower that, yeah. Because the I think the Burn Convention um, is a thing that was established a long time ago that is basically a, a lot of developed countries buy into it uh for protecting works from various authors and it states a minimum of 50 years after the life of the author for copyright so even if the united states government said you know what we should lower this copyright it probably wouldn't go below that sub copyright yeah um hey you know diablo 3 came out this week (laughs) if you could actually log on i like that for the first time in two years maybe two and a half years, I had more than 15 people on my buddy list on Battle.net yeah. online. Hmm. 
I think I had like 25 people online all playing Diablo 3. This week I learned Norm logs into StarCraft every night at about 10.30. Yep. Really? Every night. Yep. Really? And I, and I got and, and one third of those 25 people sent me messages saying, hey, you know you're playing StarCraft 2, right? I, I, I couldn't tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, one of the things that happened with Diablo, and it's one of the things that gamer, you know, people who follow the games industry have been really pissed off about for the last, what, probably six months or a year at this point, Wes? When did they announce that it was going to require always on internet? It was a long time ago. I haven't really paid much attention to Diablo because honestly, I'm just, I'm not into it. It's not your thing. Yeah. It's not your joint. Um, I was a Warcraft 2 kid. I never got into Diablo. Gross. Um, I didn't really play Diablo. I didn't play Diablo 1 at all, but I played Diablo 2 when I lived with, when I moved to California and I lived with a friend of mine while I was looking for a place and Diablo 2 came out. So we literally sat in his living room and played Diablo 2, like with, on coffee tables with computers, you know, in, in 2000. I hear it was kind of popular. It's it's a big thing, it turns out. Uh, but it requires an always-on internet connection for a couple of reasons, uh, mainly because there was a lot of item... I mean, I, the the Blizzard argument is that there was a lot of item duplication, uh, which kind of fucked up the economy of the game. Uh, you know, in in Diablo 2, uh, which they don't want to have in, in Diablo 3. So even if you're playing single-player, you have to be connected to the network. There's obviously piracy concerns as well. Um, and because you can buy stuff from other players using real money or from Blizzard via other players using real money, then it's really important that item duplication and other weird shit like that just not happen. Uh, so the, the game came out on Tuesday? Tuesday. 15th, yep. Yeah, Tuesday. And uh, the servers uh, couldn't handle the load in, uh, well, the uh, Australia and New Zealand and then in all the other regions, Europe, all the other regions that it came out one after the other, to the point that the game would uh, go live and then go down like three hours later, pretty much universally. Uh, and it's still kind of up and down. Like even last night, it was still uh, a little hinky. Uh, but it's a Diablo. The neat thing about Diablo, and actually StarCraft Two for that matter, is that it looks like. Like as I'm playing Diablo three, even Gina came in and looked at me playing last night and was like, Man, that looks exactly like I remember Diablo looking. Diablo two looking. Starcraft, I had the same thing. And when you look at them side by side, it's far and away better. But they're really good. And and it's that's a hard thing to do, I I have to imagine. Familiar but different. Not it's not even it's, the thing is when you look at it, you're it looks like the way you remember it looking, mm-hmm. not the way it actually looked. Which I think is much harder than which familiar. Is to say it looks like awesome it just looks like the same the same it yeah it's it's familiar it captures the essence yes almost like your brain has sort of changed the way that you remember diablo based well, on sort right. of more current yeah. well I, yeah i mean it, it yeah exactly you remember everything better yeah it, that that's exactly it yeah i mean i remember doom looking much better than doom actually looks <laughs> i'm gonna go ahead and tell you that right now i uh i guess it was last yeah probably last week i guess when uh when uh, they did some you, oh, I'm sorry. The other the, game does that. Halo does that well. The Wolf 3D. Halo does do a good job of that. Wolfenstein. That was it. It was Wolfenstein. Uh, you, I think it was one of you guys that linked to this where it was John oh, the Carmack. Carmack yeah. Yeah. Norm, Norman yeah. West. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that was actually a lot of fun to listen to. I mean, you know, some of it goes right over my head because it's Carmack, but. Well, uh, it's, it's like when Carmack tweets, oh those, those tweets are, it's like hyper compression. Indecipherable. One tweet will send you down a Wikipedia path that mm-hmm. takes like 30 or 40 minutes to decipher. Yeah. Um, yeah, the 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 Halo does that really well, and it's something I didn't really appreciate with Halo until that anniversary edition came out, and you could flip toggle back and forth between yeah. the two, between the new Halo and the old Halo, and and it's amazing 
how kind of shitty the old Halo looks now. But you look at something like Reach or Halo uh, ODSG, and it, you think, oh, it looks the same. That kind of made me sad not to own an Xbox. I don't have a 360. I'm sorry. I know. It's okay. Halo it 1 was really good at creating a distinct visual style that kind of stuck with the, mm-hmm. the later games, even though they looked way better, that it was... It was different enough from the the typical like corridor shooter graphics. That it's also a testament to uh, the gameplay of the original games mm-hmm. because, like for example, a Wolfenstein 3D remake today would not, even if it like had the same visual styling and a familiarity, Wolf 3D back then was such a limited game from terms of its mechanics Weapons that and you mechanics couldn't and, yeah. do that today. While StarCraft and Diablo were they're exactly the same core mechanics. Yeah. When uh, when we were talking earlier about games that do um, screenshots really, really badly, like, you know, Modern Warfare, where they're not really representative, the example actually that I thought of that has always been really good of that is Halo. Uh, like, I remember when they were releasing Halo 2 and Halo 3, and they were putting screens up on Bungie's website and, like, straight from the engine, right? Like, literally just like, hey, we were playing the game this afternoon. Here's some really cool screenshots we took. And, I mean, I thought that was always sort of a really nice... You know, it's nice to be honest to the people who, you know, are playing your game. Except Bungie.net screenshots have some really nice, like, anti-aliasing and filtering. Yeah, Yeah. they they definitely look way cleaner than in-game. But Mm -hmm. other than that, like, yeah, composition-wise and everything, it is literally just from from a game match that Mm -hmm. they'll take. Cool. Okay, well, we'll be back next Thursday with another podcast. Until then, we'll see you guys next time. Bye.